Hey everybody, Patrick Connor here, and welcome to the Knuckles and Gloves podcast. Back with my boy Eris Pina, CompuBox operator, fellow history soul brother. What's up, man? How you doing? Everything is good, my dude. How are you? I'm ready to uh, get some people mad today. Like, because it's one way or another, you know, people are just going to get mad because we're talking about current champions, champions of today versus mm-hmm. champions of yesteryear and what would happen, what if, you know, mythical matchup, whatever you want to call it. But uh, you brought up this topic and I thought it was great, not because it would make everybody mad, but it's interesting because we encounter it constantly as the kind of history type of fans we are or whatever. So people are going to get mad one way or another, I think. Absolutely. And it's one of those types of, um, basically like, you know, the thing that always fascinated me as a kid, when we had different articles growing up in like ring magazine, KO magazine, box and illustrated, uh, again, like we had so many abundance of them. So you always got to name all of them, right? World boxing and then boxing insert, whatever year it was at that point. Um, <laughs> You yeah, know, it's boxing one. 88, boxing 89, yeah, boxing yeah. 95, yep. 96, 97, all the way to the early 2000s. That was a good magazine, by the way. I haven't gone to front, but and they, you know, what made those things cool too, not to get off track, but like they all just had their own distinctions. But, anyways, mm. one thing that each of those magazines would eventually do is that they would always have one of those pieces, either like once a year or twice a year, where they would do what an article comparing guys from um, historical, you know, historical fights or like whatever you know mythical matchups for each division from like heavyweight down to flyweight or they would pick a particular superstar for instance like a modern guy and have him go through like who's who in history how he would you know fare up against them i remember it happened with oscar de la hoya they had it with felix trinidad i remember one with perna whitaker when i first got into the game um mike tyson i know was a subject of many of those it's it's, you know a thing that uh, as long as the as the game has been around, it's always been fun to try to pick you know fighters from different eras and try to compare them and match yeah. them up, you know because it's just the easy fun. It's easy sometimes fun. You know, whatever reason, it gets really heated because people take this shit way too seriously. But it's a fascinating debate because there is a contrast in errors and styles and how people match up and how active people were compared to today and all kinds of other variables and factors. How many divisions they were or in and all a lot of stuff goes in. But like. It's just one of those things that's fun to talk about. So here we are. Yeah, dude, it it's something that's been going on forever. Like as long as there's been a boxing era, as long as it's been around so that there have been players per era or whatever, they've compared how would so-and-so do against so-and-so or well, so-and-so is good, but they're no comparison to fucking Yankee John Doodle fucking over there, you know? <laughs> there was a, that's what fighters were named and shit back then but no uh it, it's Thank been going it's straight up you know when a very notable irish fighter but yeah yankee Sullivan, how's he irish but he was irish in any case um i know that's like that one fucking scene yeah kid kid new york he's from philadelphia fucking, <laughs> it was a great scene anyway sorry we're getting off track but it's been going on forever. Uh, this kind of comparison of eras and styles and old fighters versus fighters of today. One of the really notable ones for a number of years, basically until Muhammad Ali came along, the biggest one was Jack Dempsey versus Joe Lewis. That was like the shit. Like everyone was like, that's the ultimate fucking. And then Muhammad Ali came along and that changed a lot of shit. And also on top of that, there was great heavyweight eras, etc. But that's what we're going with today. We're going with these kinds of comparisons. And uh, I think one of the popular things that we've heard in recent years, especially probably in the last mm, 20 or so years, I would say, uh, and it's gotten worse and worse, 
has been, well, athletes are, they're better now. They're faster. They're stronger. Like there's mm. more better nutrition and training is different and stuff like that. And I mean, I guess there's probably some truth to that. Like, I guess just to address that, there's some truth to that. I think obviously that we know of, you know, human beings are running faster than they ever have lifting more weight than they ever have, you know, able to run longer or for a longer period of time than they ever have, at least that we know of and everything. Uh, how much of that is organic? Probably fucking not a lot, <laughs> to be honest. But nonetheless, though, you could still, it, not all of it is theoretical because you can look directly back. For instance, I mean, it'll be dated by the time I actually post this, but today is the anniversary of the rematch between Ad Wolgast and Battling Nelson, which went 40 rounds. But the thing is, Ad Wolgast fought 40 rounds or more, like a handful of times. And that was not even like outside normal. So you take things like that and you're like, oh, well, look at these fucking athletes, these fast twitch, blah, blah, blah. And they're so great these days. Those motherfuckers are like winded after round seven. They're done. And I'm not, I know that, you know, probably after like round 30, a lot of these fights, these fools were like, like just clubbing each other and there was nothing. But I'm just saying, you know, like motherfuckers were winning fights. So it's kind of like, you know, I don't think that these kinds of comparisons, there's going to be sweeping general generalities for a lot of fans of today's fighters that go, that's stupid. You can't compare eras because fighters are so much better now. I'm just calling bullshit. Like, I just don't think that's the case at all. And on top of that, as we've discussed, some of the earliest fighters that we can find in the teens, 20s, 30s, there are a whole lot of fighters from those eras who would do just fine stylistically these days. Absolutely, man. You know, that's a long per conceived thing that like everyone kind of looks at a photo of John L. Sullivan or like Corbett and then like posing like this or doing, you know, the bare knuckle yeah. guys. They just think everyone walking. Even in. into like the twenties and thirties guys posing yeah. like kind of like this and shit. And you're like, dude, do you think they fought that yeah. way? They were still, they posed for photos, dipshit. Yeah. Like I just think of whatever, like a dude, like, um, I don't know why when he posed like that, I think a bear cat, right? Because there's a photo of him wrestling where he was like that, you know, his claws up, but very true. You know, these guys would pose in certain ways, but that's not how they actually fought. And if you look, for instance, off the top of my head, a guy like, like, you know, uh, Mike O'Dowd, right? A former middleweight champion and a deep cut from the early, before the days of Harry Greta's champion. You guys better look on box record, look at his record, because that shit might yeah. surprise you. And not only that, look up his fights with, um, which one was it? Mike Gibbons or Tommy, like one of the Gibbons brothers. And absolute brilliance right there. You know what I mean? That type of shit holds up into any different era. It really is. Like, clearly the... The graphic, I mean, you know, the footage of it is a little grainy. It might be moving a little bit faster. So you mean, but like, watch that or watch anything from like Barney Ross, Tony Canzanari, any of these guys. Like, these guys were just legitimately badasses that would last and whoop ass in any era. Right? Yeah, they do and totally like, fine today. Even Joe Gans, too. You think these guys from the olden times, if they were dropped in today, they wouldn't know how to adapt or do anything either? Like, <laughs> you know, these were brilliant minds who literally ate, slept, and breathed boxing 24-7. But I mean, I'm not saying anything that the people that listen to the show don't already know. So, yeah, dude, it's well, and it's it's easy to kind of get carried away too, obviously, because we know that basically, you know, it's easy to get carried away as a history person because sure. we love the history, we love looking back on different era, blah blah blah. But I think that we're pretty, at least compared to a lot of history types, we're pretty objective. 
we're also recognizing that there are a lot of great fighters today. Like there's not, we're not those types of history guys that go, there's no fights anymore. They don't do that anymore. And it's like, you know, perhaps not as much as they used to. Sure. But dude, there's some fucking awesome shit now. And it, it gets clouded by a lot of, you know, ridiculous media nonsense and like the streaming type of shit and the way that, that boxing, you know, absorbing boxing has transformed in the last few years. That's definitely making it like the judgment about that kind of clouded, I think. But anyway, I think we should have a lot of fun today talking about who, you know, who could do what and who can't do what uh, you suggested earlier, bringing up, you know, the heavyweights. Why not? Yeah. Why not? Um, I mean, I was even thinking about this the other day, bro. Tyson Fury, it's mm. has been going on nine years as the lineal heavyweight champion. Holy shit. Has it been that long? Dude, I know. <laughs> and that's what I'm, it's that makes no sense at all. Anyway, like, well, that's I mean, what a what a very flawed and asterisk filled <laughs> what a know, piss poor championship run. Like, yeah, man. There's so many potholes in that thing that can be like questioned, but yeah, ninety years. Wow. I mean, let me just. I mean, I'm, am I pulling that out of my ass? Hold on here. I need to check dates because now I'm kind of like, hold on. That doesn't sound well, right. Klitschko was what 2015. That sounds about right. Yeah, dude. November 2015. So in November it will be nine yeah. years. Obviously, that's like nine months from now. But still, <laughs> I got an interesting story about that fight too. Is that I was well, any story is more interesting than the fight. Yeah. <laughs> <It's fucking loop. laughs> I was, uh, where was I working? I was working in Canada that night for Showtime. I don't, I don't remember what card it was, but there was something going on. If I have to gather, it might have to be in James DeGale or somebody. That sounds about right, right? But anyways, um, he might have been fighting Butte. I, I don't know. One of those guys was out there. Maybe Stevenson, who knows? Regardless, during dinner, all, me and Lee were going back to the truck, and I was like, I think I can find a stream of the fight. Because this was like the early days of Twitter and people were posting streams or whatever it was, right? Yeah. And I didn't, you know, I wasn't That shit was pretty loose back then, yeah. Yeah. So found a stream, you know, X out of a bunch of pop-ups, finally got it working. And as we were watching it, like, and clearly, like you said, it was boring, but it was still fascinating to watch. We're just watching, watching. And as both of us were starting to comment, you know, saying like, oh, shit, like, you know, Klitschko looks like he's in a little bit of trouble here. More people started gathering. Like the Showtime people started gathering. They're like, oh, really? So they started like, you know, filtering over because they were like, oh, you know, HBO guy is losing. So they started filtering. Before you knew it, we had like over a dozen and a half people like kind of surrounding our entire like desk watching the fight <laughs> just to see what was unfolding there. So <laughs> he went. Yeah, that was pretty cool. <laughs> From a tactical perspective, the fight was not bad. Like figuring well, out. Well, I mean, just to see how it was unfolding because Klitschko had been so dominant for so long. Just so to see him so flustered like that. And like you said, it wasn't exciting. It wasn't anything. But just to see it unfold the way it did and see that Fury's weird unorthodox style, as ugly as it was, was actually working to his advantage was fascinating in itself. So, yeah. Well, and I don't think a lot of people had a whole lot of faith in Tyson Fury for a number of reasons going into that fight. And he put it together as far as game plan. He, he basically like hit Vladimir Klitschko like 10 times and then fainted him the entire night. It was like, wow, this is awful, but I get it, you know. But I mean, that in and of itself, I mean, unfortunately, that's kind of like the crown jewel performance for him. Uh, and I mean, I say that unfortunately because obviously 
Vladimir Klitschko had been around a long time, was fairly long in the tooth, had never had a great chin. And so that was always going to be a liability for him. You know, the worry about, you know, concern about taking a punch and stuff like that. And so I don't want to just immediately shut down any talk about Tyson Fury even being good by calling his best win shit or something like that. But nonetheless, dude, there's a lot of asterisks on that win. And then on top of that, on top of the asterisks on the win itself, he took almost three years off after winning the title, you know, retired, quote unquote, however many times, and then fought, God, I can't even remember, Sefer Seferi. Uh, and then Francesco Pianetta. I mean, you know, we're talking about a full three years between Vladimir Klitschko and the first Deontay Wilder fight where the dude almost got planted six feet under a lettuce patch by, you know, two wild shots. I don't know, man. I'm I'm not trying to just, like, immediately crap on the guy. There are a lot of fighters, I think, over the course of history that he would have been able to frustrate at his best. But you can't depend on that's the problem is like the consistency is not really there overall. And Vladimir Klitschko is his best performance. You kind of got to look at it as like, all right, are there a lot of other heavyweights who can figure out what to do about the feints? Yeah. Are there a lot of other heavyweights from history who would not would who would not have been like, oh no, he's fainting me. I guess I can't do anything. Like Vladimir Klitschko did. Yeah, there's a lot of heavyweights from history who would have done that shit. So it's it's kind of tough, dude. Um, who are you thinking about? Who would you think about in the mythical fight with him that you've always been like, wow, that'd be fascinating? Well, I mean, God, that's actually a good, that's a good question because if I, if I tried to pick somebody else like big, like, I don't know, like Primo Carnera or something like that, dude. Oh, God, no. He didn't have the skill for Tyson Fury and he would have been like, you know, like pawing at him all night. It would have been awful. That would have been terrible too. But like, um, fine, fuck it. Like Joe Lewis, just go for a big one. Joe Lewis, right? Okay, that's not fair because Joe Lewis would knock his ass out. <laughs> Sorry. Some people but... might say no, but I mean, just because of the, like you said, of the modernism and all that. But yeah. Wow. And and people are like, oh, he lost a oh. smelling and then he got knocked out by so-and-so. But I mean, no, like, so-and-so. all right, let's think about that for a minute. A guy like Joe sure, Lewis. Sure, break it down more. Joe Lewis is, was not a big heavyweight by compared by uh, today's guys, right? What was, it, what was his height again? He was like 6'2", 210 or something, you know, like he was not a big guy. But you got to keep it in account, too. He did fight big heavyweights of his era. Like, he did his now. It wasn't like he was fighting, you know, he was fighting guys of similar stature, sometimes even a little bit smaller, like Billy Conn, for instance, or like Jersey Joe Walcott. But, like, he was fighting dudes, also fucking giants. Like, Buddy Bear was a huge heavyweight in himself that would fare comparatively well with the sizes of today's heavyweights. Primo Carnera, like, guys like that. And Lewis chopped them down like they were logs. Now, if you want to... But, you know, their skills in comparison, of course, you know, they don't add, add up to, like, a guy like Fury. Like, you know, Bear was the lesser-known uh, brother of Max, and Primo Carnera is, well, in history, showing what he was. But it's like, you know, a guy that was just manufactured and made up by the mob. But um, Lewis is just one of those guys, too, that was, like, he's one of the most technical fighters in history. You know, comes up from Jack Blackburn school, and just everything was just so precise with him, you know what I mean? And... The thing about him, though, is that he was also kind of slow of a foot. Like, he had fast hands when he got in there, and his combinations were absolutely perfect. But, you know, you, he could be out-hustled. Like, you know, Billy Conn was running circles around him. And I'm not going to say Fury would be able to do that either, but a guy that's mobile as Fury 
and the size of him would be something that Lewis had never encountered like that, like the combination of the two. So that'd be kind of fascinating. <clears throat> no, I think that's pretty fair, dude. Cause he, um, Joe Lewis was not a fast guy, at least not his feet. His, his hands were okay. I don't think his hands were super slow, but one of the big things that, well, I, I would say two big things that Tyson Fury has never really had to deal with is a fighter who was willing to throw in combination. And Joe Lewis is one of the greatest combination punchers ever. Mm -hmm. um, and not just at heavyweight, but just a fantastic fluid. Uh, you know, I can't remember who said it initially. God help me if it was Burt Sugar. But somebody said that Joe Lewis threw his right hand like a pitcher throwing a, a fastball. And, I heard that. And that's, like, that's how all of his punches looked. He They were effortless like he he sometimes would get pissed and put effort into the punches but usually it was just like bop 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 you know he'd get them going so yeah, Tyson Fury, so perfect though like just textbook man you know and that's sometimes a problem you know sometimes that's predictable and sometimes you know you can time fighters like that but it's also a big danger standing in there with a guy like joe lewis who who could have knocked tyson fury out for sure and then the other thing is Tyson Fury basically doesn't in this era, and this is something to consider from uh, most perspectives here, is that heavyweights in general, and Tyson Fury too, don't really have to worry about body punching because it just doesn't really happen. True. Not, not compared to other eras. And, you know, compare that to Joe Lewis, who damn near fucking bent Max Schmeling in half with one shot to the fucking, you know, kind of to the back. But hey, he shouldn't have turned his back, bro. He shouldn't turn his back. But, I mean, man, he broke his spine with that punch. <laughs> yeah, like there aren't too many copies of the film with sound. Most of them have, have been scrubbed, but the ones that do have him going, like he gets hit and goes, ah! It'd be tough. All right. Like if I'm going to go with uh, off the top of my head, I would have to say that Lewis in 15 rounds would be able to figure him out at some point. But. That being said, I could see a scenario where Fury would be able to flurry and awkwardly do his jab, you know, just probably get dropped at some point, but just do enough of his awkwardness and everything else and leaning and finding enough of rhythm to beat him over 12 rounds. Don't hate me, you know, historians for saying that, but I could see that scenario as well. But if we we're going over 15 rounds, I think Lewis catches him by round 13 at least, maybe even earlier. Maybe earlier, but I say like in the late rounds, if it goes... In a 15-rounder, I think Lewis would catch him between 13 to 15. Like, probably some... Since we saw Fury against Wilder three times, you know, we have a pretty good sample of, like, you know, seeing how he would do against a puncher. Granted, Deontay Wilder's kind of benefits from his unorthodox approach, actually, because it's kind of tough to see where those punches are coming from. They're yeah. weird. Sometimes windmilling and wild and crazy. But even so, it's kind of like, well... At least my thought process is like if Deontay Wilder can catch that dude substantially over the course of three fights, I kind of feel like Joe Lewis probably would too and cleaner and better. Totally. But I could envision a scenario where he loses a decision too because he could I mean, be out. Like, yeah, I think that would be the lesser scenario because like, again, you got to think Fury's been caught by other guys too, like Nganu, even though he's a lot bigger <laughs> than most guys and Clearly, Fury wasn't taking that as seriously as he would be against, you know, someone he actually respected, which, you know, he didn't respect Ngannou or his skills at that point. But getting caught, he can be caught and he can be dropped. I mean, Steve Cunningham, 
who, who no one's going to compare him to the power of Jill Lewis, anyone on the planet. <clears throat> Again, I was ringside for that. That's the loudest I ever heard a ring shake is when Fury got dropped right in front of me. Just Yeah, he uh, went down hard on that one. Bro, the whole thing, it sounded like a thunderclap. Just everything shook around you. And that was one of those, okay, that was one overhand right. So, I mean, if that was a Joe Lewis shot, he's not getting up from that. But I'm going to talk in peak versus peak. And this is like Fury that's clearly focused and knows what he's up against and knows how dangerous a person is. And try not to get caught with some shit like that. I can see him doing all that stuff to eke out something. Because Lewis could be befuddled. Lewis could be outbought. Like, you know, an awkward guys can give him issues. Um, like you said, you know, the way he was shuffling, things like that, like there would be times where he would struggle, but once he got going, it'd be a wrap. So. All right. Well then how about Tyson Fury versus Muhammad Ali? Mm. Yeah, that's a, that's kind of like you start thinking about the styles and you're like, uh, that wouldn't be a fun fight. Oh man. Oof. I mean, especially like seventies Ali, you know, you know, like. There would have been so much holding and hitting. and Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, But, I mean, if you're talking about the actual Ali Ali of this prime, then he's not, Fury's not going to beat him. Yeah, there would have been, I think, a little too much speed, a little too, too much maneuverability. Absolutely, too much maneuverability, too much everything. And, like, Ali was a totally different fighter than in terms of... <laughs> but you thought the same thing I did. I was like, oh, shit, dude, they're going to just fall into each other and go... It just, I mean, like, you know what I was thinking for whatever reason is that, like, I wasn't thinking peak Ali from, like... Um, the Cleveland Williams fight, for instance, where everyone calls him, you know, the absolute best performance or whatever, right? But, like, thinking of, like, the Jimmy Young fight or something, oh, God, that would have been the most awful, aesthetically, ugh. Yeah, dude. I mean, and that's, um, that's, it obviously was not, like, Peak Ali was different, and he moved a lot through a lot of combinations, even if a lot of them were kind of, like, ineffective. But nonetheless, that was part of, what kind of kept him, you know, difficult to hit and difficult to kind of pin down. But like later on, Ali was a lot of those fights were tough to watch, dude. A lot of them were real tough to watch. And that type of, and that Ali would struggle actually, I think today with today's heavyweights, like the top peak of them, like the mid seventies Ali I'm talking. So the Ali from the sixties up until the Joe Frazier fight and even post that, like for a fight or two, would, in my opinion, would wipe up a guy, Fury. he would wipe up Joshua and a Usyk fight would be more would be really interesting. I'm not even gonna front. Like I think I I would favor obviously Peak Ali over Usyk, but like if you talking Ali that lost in the first Norton fight, or like you know other instances where you see Ali just kind of like you know going through like the Bonavina fight where he was cleanly struggling, things like certain fight Ali fight like that would be a more fascinating matchup. You know what I mean? Just because Usyk was his size, he has beautiful movement fluidity everything like that that's a fascinating fight to me but the ali of the mid 70s uh, i don't know how he would do with those guys and i mean it's just a lot of people in the era of, like, at that point um in in history that i think could mop up ali at some point during that time so who knows but if we're talking peak versus peak fury's not doing nothing with him then you know that yeah. being said one fight that i would find fascinating since i just brought Usyk up um, two of them actually would be one I was thinking of yesterday would be Usyk against Joe Frazier. Huh. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> Joe figures in weird, dude, because he's got a very strange style. Like, I mean, a, a pretty distinct style too. 
fairly one-handed. There were some fights where he used his right hand and did it pretty well. But, like, yeah, you almost got to figure, like, um, I think a lot of people would say, oh, he's limited. He's got his left hook, and that's pretty much it. He's going to wind up bobbing and weaving into shots a lot, which is true. But you also kind of have to apply that the other way, which is that he got as fucking far as he did being just that fighter. Yeah. And he got really far. <laughs> he defeated as close to peak Ali as he could possibly have defeated. And, you know, that in and of itself puts him in on a level that, you know, most will never even fucking sniff, much less reach. Ooh. But, um, yeah, against somebody like Alexander Usyk, dude, that's, that's. Okay. I'm oh, trying to get a look up Usyk's height and I'm trying to look up Frazier and just see like, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that it would be Usyk trying to back away. And Usyk's probably like I don't know, maybe has like an inch of height on him. Or yeah, something? nah. So Usyk six three, Frazier was six foot. Damn. Okay. All right. A little bit more than I thought, but yeah, I don't know, dude. I mean, Usyk is definitely more of a pinpoint puncher and a guy who doesn't waste a lot of energy. That seems to be kind of his game, uh, and it's a good game. You know, it's a it's a highly effective game, and it seems to be more kind of like a long game at heavyweight where he's beating a, like a lot of the fighters that he's fighting at heavyweight. He seems to be beating them up over the last few rounds type of thing, you know, outlasting them being a more pre precise fighter and definitely a better conditioned fighter than the vast majority of heavyweights today. So the thing is like, I think with Joe Frazier, we'd be looking at a scenario where like, he's got to cut Joe Frazier up. You know, he's got to slice him up with precision. Yeah. He's either going to, or take him out and hurt him. Or if he gets to the later rounds, dude, I think Joe Frazier in the later rounds, assuming he's at his best, is going to be a real tough out for anybody. Yes, absolutely. And I can't see Usyk hurting Frazier that way and taking him out. Like, Usyk's a sharpshooter puncher, but he's not a fucking concussive puncher. Especially yeah, exactly. All right. The only people that were able to really take Frazier and drop him on his ass hard, hard were like Bonavino, who was like a caveman clubber. And that was a young Frazier, too, who was more just like kind of, I think, shocked and like stunned as opposed to being like, oh, my God, you know, completely out on his feet when he got hurt in that fight. Correct. He got dropped twice. And I yeah. think that like the second time uh, he was a little bit wobbled. But the first time it was kind of he was just like, oh, shit, like oh, he got shit, caught yeah. in a very weird spot. But like, I just wanted to confirm but he did get caught. Yeah, the Bonavina expert. But like, <laughs> so you got that. And then. Yeah, you know, Frazier was hurt in other times, like, you know, most notably besides the Foreman fights, like the second Ali fight where they talked about, uh, what was it, Tony Perez, I think, cutting the round off early. Yeah, fairly early. I was like the second round. Or second something. round, exactly, because they said Frazier might have been knocked out, which, who knows, I don't think Frazier could get yeah, I don't knocked. know about knocked out, but he was definitely hurt. He was definitely rocked around and wobbled, absolutely. So he could be hurt, you know what I mean? He was wobbled. Other dudes certainly hurt him and rocked him at different points in his career. And not to say that Usyk couldn't do the same, but... I don't know if you'd be able to hold off a relenting Frazier to be able to knock him out. It's just a fascinating matchup to think because they're, in, you know, they're not that far apart in body sizes, similar like that. Frazier's probably thicker than Usyk actually was. Usyk is one of the most, you know, fluid and best heavyweights in terms of skill-wise we've seen in a long, long, long while. Beautiful fighter to watch and can get down on his tough and gritty and just to, you know, to know to get down with a, a pressure fighter like Frazier, those styles would clash so perfectly together. Yeah, I mean, I think that it. I'd probably go with either Frazier late or maybe like, I mean, I, 
I guess I'd have to go with Frazier. I can't go against a guy like Frazier. I think he'd eventually catch up with him. His pressure is too much. He would just suffocate him after a while. But it would be brilliant to see because I think he'd have to come from behind to do it. I think that Usyk would have to like slice him up or, you know, like he'd have to do something like that, in my opinion, to like in order to, I mean, I guess he could take a decision, but that'd be tough, dude. You make it a 15 round fight and I think that's a long night for Usyk. Yeah, that's, that's what I mean. I think Frazier eventually takes him out, but that would be a really, really interesting fight. What about like, you know, uh, even though he didn't turn pro, but what might be like a really fun stylistically, like in terms of skill and tactics or whatever, would be like Alexander Usyk versus somebody like fucking like uh teofilo stevenson sure i was even thinking stevenson against a guy like wilder jesus dude (laughs) because i mean stevenson was so skilled and then could fucking bang yeah exactly (laughs) yeah and then like if you turn pro and you know i don't know like you know a guy like wilder who stevenson clearly was more skilled than but Wilder, but he wouldn't run from him. Yeah, the more recent one that fought Joseph Parker did absolutely nothing. I'm talking about the dude who was quick. That was bad. You know, with throw, like you said, you couldn't predict how he was going to move, and he was awkward, and out of nowhere, he would just wing a shot that could knock your head off. That would be (laughs) like in the third fight where he just out of nowhere caught Fury, and like his whole body like did the ripple (laughs) and shit. Yeah, yeah, just shook around like a weird like. (laughs) <laughs> like that episode of The Simpsons where he touches his stomach and it just keeps going forever. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> when you hit him ooh, right on the top of the head, but... Yeah. You know, a guy like Teofio Stevenson, who from when he first won his first Olympic gold medal all the way until he retired in the mid to late 80s, you know, there are instances where there's certain fights or like certain matchups couldn't be made in the Olympics where you're like, oh, you know, for 84, they weren't there, right? 88. Um, I don't think Cuba competed either. I think that was the year that around that time that you finally retired. So those are both times that, you know, who knows what Stevenson would have matched up with. But over the years, he proved himself to be one of the most greatest amateur fighters in boxing history. You know, lost a couple of times, but he always would end up eventually his losses, more or less. And just anytime he showed up at the Olympics, I mean... He was just laying dudes out, especially the Americans. Dwayne Bobbitt got splattered by him. John Tate got splattered by him. Um, anytime in like usual amateur tournaments, even if they were able to get a win against them, they'd end up getting, you know, knocked silly in a rematch. Um, it, it was just over and over and over. I think he even knocked out Tyrell Biggs later on, who ended up winning the Golden 84. So like it gives you an example of like what kind of badass, you know what I mean? And all of those years, especially in the late 70s into the up until almost his retirement, there was almost the, there was always that talk of what if he's going to turn pro? What if he's going to turn pro? There was close to it a couple of times. You know, Bob Arum, I think it was the one that was cultivating it, where they were going to have a series of exhibitions with him against Ali um, all over the place. And I forgot who, you know, circum- who like cut it off, but like it's one of those things. It's the biggest what if. You know what I mean? In terms of amateur fighters, that probably has the biggest aura of what if, no? Yeah, it's it's probably the biggest and probably you know, a lot of the biggest what ifs have been Cuban fighters, Felix Savone, you yes. know, Felix Stevenson. Um those are probably the two most prominent ones because so many other fighters have either defected or tried to defect. Um but I mean I'd say probably the other one would be like Laszlo Pap, even though he did turn pro, you know, he he was stopped short of probably winning some kind of championship at some point. Uh, 
I mean, so that's a pretty big one too, but nonetheless, totally agree. agree. And, and also, you know, one of the highest quality amateur fighters ever, but, um, made the hall of fame. I mean, think about that more so off of his amateur accomplishments, because like you said, his not to veer off too much, but like his pro career was spent. What was he fighting out of Vienna, Austria? I think it was. And he fought a you know in other areas of like but he fought a good amount of like european fighters won the european championship and was on his way to a fight with joey giardello and that's when they were just kind of like yeah you're done now yeah unfortunately um a lot of bad actors around that time with uh cuba and a number of soviet countries basically cut off any sort of access to professional sports including boxing and so laszlo pap got Xnade from that shit, unfortunately. But like you said, there there's been a lot of recognition that he was a great fighter. Teofilo Stevenson, though, is probably the farthest up there because he was, you know, the the original, at least heavy at heavyweight gold medal, you know, fucking gold medal snatcher. Dude killed many a dream for sure. Uh, but like, yeah, dude, there are a number of different fighters, a different fights along the way for that type for that dude that would match up. I think really interestingly Usyk has kind of got that style where he did really well in the amateurs and he's been able to carry that over into the pros similar to Usyk but they have the same you know coach so I guess that's not really that that surprising but um I yeah I'd for Usyk in that fight against uh, Stevenson to be honest Dude, Usyk's uh I think he kind of gets lost in the conversation especially because his last fight what did you think about his last fight by the way Dubois I mean, look, everyone is, you know, griping about the whole body shot, low blow thing. That was a low blow when it comes down to it, all right? And he got up and took care of business. I don't think he looked at his absolute peak. And he might be even slipping slightly, you know what I mean? Like, you know, it's been around a long, long time. And, but, I mean, we'll see how he really looks for the Fury fight. It's unfortunate it didn't happen recently. But, like, you know, I feel... This is the fight he knows. This is his legacy, all right? Like, he brought his the absolute game of, you know, uh, A game against Joshua two times. Had to suffer some big adversity in both of those fights, especially in the second one when Joshua tried to come back, you know, before he ended up taking it over again. And um, I think he knows what he's up against, against Fury. So, like, yeah, whatever he looked like in this one, which wasn't bad, but it wasn't, like, amazing in itself, um, I think, you know, he's going to bring it even more to a different level to this one, next one, so... Yeah, I didn't real. I didn't have a big problem with the you know a lot of the British fans especially were jumping on the whole low blow thing, did. and I just didn't see it as that big of an issue. I saw it far more borderline. So I don't have a. I, that's not the kind of thing that's going to affect me going like, well, I don't know how I could pick Usyk against so and so from history because he went down from that low blow. You know, no. I mean, Usyk. I mean, yeah, Fury looked like shit in his last fight too, and he generally doesn't look amazing half the time. So it's kind of like whatever you know yeah i yeah i'm not too worried about it but, but i think that we're both agreeing that Usyk is skilled enough and hits hard enough that he'd match up pretty well against probably most fighters in history absolutely but i think he would be stevenson for the fact that even as amateurs i mean it it, it was just like the the styles are different like stevenson as great as he was you know he was kind of economic you know what i mean still in, in his approach and everything like that like there wasn't a lot of just you know you see him and twitch switching and switch hitting or whatever it was you saw what that was he would just kind of walk in with a jab and everything was great how he threw it like he was you know textbook but like you can see that like 
in my opinion, if there was a guy really out there, like a guy like Usyk, for instance, who just, you know, good with the legs and movement and everything like that, could befuddle him a little bit and just move on him and make sure they don't get hit with that right hand. As long as you avoid that shit and try not to get caught with nothing crazy, there's a good chance you can outpoint him. And Stevenson could be beat, like, you know, at the Olympics, he was almost unbeatable, basically. But, like, any, you know, there are times, especially later in his career, where he would lose. So, I mean... It's just too bad that we didn't get the chance to see how he could have turned as a pro because not even talking about the Ali fights, which everyone has debated about over the years, verbatim, over and over and over what could have possibly happened, especially in 78 and 79 when the talks were hottest and Ali was more or less retired and just, you know, doing exhibitions with Lyle Alzado and other bullshit like that. Um, You know, Stevenson against a host of the guys that he beat up as amateurs guys like Michael Dokes and Tubbs and Page and that, you know, that crop of fighters and other heavyweights, they were still, you know, still around. And even like, you know, Larry Holmes and Ken Norton and stuff. Those are fascinating fights to think about. So. Yeah, for sure. Dude. I mean, I think that the overall kind of theme and we'll have to see what happens for uh, Fury Usyk, which we'll get soon enough, I, I think, mm-hmm. but um, I mean, the overall theme is that like we don't really seem to have a whole lot of confidence in Tyson Fury for good reason. His consistency has been swirling down the drain for a long time. I just never really was there as champion. And then, you know, compared to Oleksandr Usyk, who seems, you know, fairly consistent skill wise, output wise, you know, you could rely on the kind of performance he's going to give usually. And I think that that's a pretty big difference when you when you, you know, are trying to match this fighter you know, versus that fighter type of thing. But I mean, I don't know. Who do you, who do you think is somebody from history that would take Usyk out for instance? Oh, in history. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there are many, but I'm just saying like, who, who's somebody specifically that you think would be like, Oh, well, that's just no good for him. Hmm. Off the top of my head. uh, Larry Holmes, I think would be a tough fight for him. No, that's actually not a bad answer, dude. That that jab is going to be real exactly. fucking tough for anybody. Yeah, a prime Larry Holmes is just a tough out for everybody. He was just not only was he just tough as nails, and you weren't going to take his stride away, but like, yeah, his jab and everything else is caught. And these combinations, like Holmes, you know, doesn't get. I mean, he t- just his jab gets talked about so much that it's forgotten about how good his uppercut's right hand and everything else, how he would throw body punches at times. Like, Holmes was a gritty motherfucker, man. He just... There's a reason why he became one of the all-time greats. And, like, people like to talk shit about the 80s and the division that he, like, resided over or whatever it may be because it was post-Ali and, you know, the Dark Ages or whatever it was. But, like, that was a tough era. Holmes had to go through some tough fighters at that point. Yes, he beat some scrubs like Scott Frank, you know, Lucien Rodriguez, uh totally greenhorn uh, Marvis Frazier who had no business being in the ring with him and like a few others but like at that point you know you think of the other guys too like Ernie Shavers who almost ripped his head off you know what I mean uh, Mike Weaver who was finally coming into his own and a young Tim Witherspoon and you know Bonecrusher Smith and other guys that he had to like just he beat the hell out of you know what I mean and he beat them convincingly and he wasn't and sure like he could have fought a guy like Greg Page or a couple of others but I mean more or less he proved himself to be like the the legitimately the cream of the heavy, you know, the crop of that era until he finally lost to Michael Spinks. So it's like, 
And then, you know, if you consider his comeback as well and seeing, you know, the skill and how his brain reacted and everything, how he gave everybody hell in the, in the 90s during his, you know, his comeback, he's going to be a hard out for anybody. I think if you're going to put someone with him, he's not, he's, Musick's not going to beat him. Yeah, dude, that's a good, that's, I think, a pretty that's good just, That's just him. I'm sure there's, there's a lot of other, if I really thought about it, I can give you, a, you know, a bunch of other ones as well, but this, you know, off the top of my head. I'm going with Frank Slavin. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's a pretty good fucking pick, dude. Uh, especially because the some of the fighters that Larry wound up fighting, they like overperformed. You know, like they had no yes. business fighting as well as they did. And somehow they, just... they like they they fucking reached down for it against Larry Holmes for whatever reason. Some of them, not all of them, but no, some and of it them... would be like, you know, some of them and they become dramatic performances. Look at, for instance, Ronaldo Snipes. All right, look. Snipes is no one's going to consider to be one of the all-time great heavyweights. He was, you know, a tough contender there in his era that clearly had a ceiling to himself. But when he caught Holmes with that right hand, and then Holmes got up and walked face first into that pit, you know, into the ring post over there, looking confused. That was bad. That would have been stopped. Where the hell he was. What do you think Tony Weeks would have done? The minute he got dropped to the canvas, he would have jumped and said, oh, 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 no more. Right? Yeah, and it would have been some dramatic, like, facing the camera. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Like, freaking out. (laughs) All right, that wasn't, you know, Holmes got up, and not only did he get up from that looking all dazed, he was beating the hell out of Snipes at the end of that round. Same thing after he got dropped by Shavers. He said he had no idea where he was. Anybody would have been basically dead from that point. Yeah, easily one of the just fucking brutalist knockdowns that's just, like, loud. He caught all of it. It sounded like Barry Bonds hitting a bat just, you know, or, like, a wrestler when you hit one of them Savat kicks with a loaded pad. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and you hear, wow, it, he got up from that shit. So, I mean, he, Holmes was a different type of animal. Yeah, you were not, unless you were Mike Tyson and he was called in like in three weeks notice, you were exactly, not going to keep Yeah, while he was sitting at Easton just chilling around and looking at, you know, the the stocks of his, uh, uh, of his disco hall or something like that. Well, come on. Yeah, you aren't going to keep Larry Holmes down otherwise. And so, yeah, and I think that's then, pretty cool. Round four, Holmes was still talking shit and doing the dance around and getting everybody excited because mm-hmm. he looked like the Holmes in 1978. <laughs> dude, yeah. Oh, wow. I rem- dude, I remember in the 90s when he was still doing his thing and it was just like, how the fuck? What? He looked so, he looked like he definitely put on weight and he didn't move super great, like especially his upper body, but he was still doing it. And the thing is, if you saw him at the press conferences too, he had the, you know, the very stylish Cazelle glasses on, made famous by Run DMC and others from the 80s. But, like, they were thick. It made it seem like he couldn't see. And, you know, and then he had the weird high top that was a little misshapen. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> it made his head look even weirder shaped. It yeah. did, yeah, it's yeah. Bad, yeah. bad stuff, bro. Go back to your short hair style. Yeah, and like you said, he had the gut, but he would wear the, um, he used to wear, and then during the 90s, the early 90s, he was wearing bum equipment. Do you remember that brand? Of course. Yeah, yeah, he was wearing bum equipment trunks too, which was cool. Don't get me wrong. I mean, right? he was just—he looked like he was totally out of place. Like he was really like a dude who was just kind of dropped into the wrong era. But unlike dudes, unlike fighters who clearly don't belong, Holmes showed that he belonged. And like he, he wasn't a guy that was just trying to like you know get big fights and stay inactive until he got a big fight. <laughs> like he was going on the circuit. Yeah, I mean, he would get a big fight every once of every few years, but in the interim, you would see him all the time on Tuesday night fights, Mississippi or this place or that place, just beating the shit out of all these dudes, <laughs> and then saying he's retired after each fight. You know, it became like almost a running shtick between him and um, Sean O'Grady. 
yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's why everybody know it's my last fight. Thank you all. And then two months later, he's back again. So, I, don't I'm, I don't think he ever fought this guy, but like someone like Tony LaRosa. You know what I mean? That's a name for the blast from the past for people. But yeah, good. Like one of like Bigfoot Martin's last fights or something. Yeah, like that. something ridiculous. Exactly. But um, let's move to light heavyweight really quick. All right. Um, current champion Dimitri Bivol and uh, was it Arta? Um, yeah, better beef. Yeah, better beef. So, how would you see Bivol doing against? Hmm, off the top of my head, Bob Foster. I mean, <laughs> the issue I have. Well, I mean, the issue I have with Bivol. Mm-hmm. And it's not like a ma- a major issue. It's more an issue of like exposure because it's like he's got t- he has a long amateur career. I mean, or at least a significant amateur career because he's not like super old. He's like thirty two or thirty three, but like a significant sized amateur career. But he's only had like twenty one or something like that pro fights, and we yeah. haven't gotten a great look. And granted, you know, we could say the same about Usyk, but um, I don't think we've seen people like accomplish nearly as much and against as good a fighters and his signature win at this point is probably the Canelo fight. And so I'm kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm not entirely sure how to match this dude up against somebody from history. Cause I'm not entirely sure we have the greatest sample size, but neither with better be of either because he's been really inactive. I just picked them because they're the current champions. So no, no, like- no, I'm with you. And I'm not saying it's a bad, I'm just kind of like, I'm not sure who I would pick them against unless it was somebody bad. I mean, Bob Foster, dude, he catches he catches literally any light heavyweight, and I think they're going to sleep. Absolutely. And especially the one that was winging fucking haymakers against Dick Tiger. Like you see he was he was not playing around that evening at Madison Square Garden. He was going for it almost sleeping. and I don't think the footage was sped up because it didn't look like it. It just Foster was winging, winging shots that night. And Tiger was, you know, you so small, just kind of ducking under him. It must have felt like a tornado over his head before he finally got caught with that one shot that got lifted him off his feet and, you know, he lay there sprung dead. But it's like... And it was one of those knockouts where he just, like, he didn't just fall, but he, like, violently fell and his head yes. was like, bang, bang, bang. You know, like, oh, my God. I mean, when I watched that as a little kid on that video, the 30 great one-punch knockouts, and I had no idea who either one of those guys were, uh, I assumed that Dick Tiger wasn't anything. I was like, who's this guy that's got bounce like a basketball, like you just said, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't, because it just, it was that bad of a thing. It looked like a one little, you know, it looked, it looked like you're watching an episode of WWF Superstars when you saw a dude like, you know, I, I don't know, um, Big John Studd or somebody like that, just absolutely obl- obliterate a poor scrub like special delivery Jones when they just bounce like five feet off the canvas. You know what I mean? Like that's what it looked like. So that being said, yeah, I guess I would go with Foster. Maybe that's the best comparison because Foster is one of the greatest light heavyweights in history. But like I was just thinking of tall, lanky guys to compare. With, no, right? for sure. And and it's also fair to note, dude. You, know, you and I have talked about this too. Foster's era is not super great, like in terms of it quality. Was yeah, but he was generally laying waste like he was doing with these fighters what he should have been doing for the most part like if you know these fighters were not stretched too like a good you know a really really good fighter from that time would be able to take him some some rounds like mark testament who was a who was a really good boxer i know took him late and um who was another one who was another one from that era that was another guy that he went with like was it finnegan or somebody Mm, no i don't think finnegan lasted super long but like 
but yeah, like he it wasn't always taking everybody out early or anything like that, but he was pretty dependable for the stoppage usually. So, all right, a better question would be how would Beeble compare to the golden age, late seventies, early eighties? I was I thought you were gonna say Roy Jones era. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. How would Beeble do against Richie Frazier? Ricky Frazier. <laughs> Ricky Frazier, knock him out, then arrest him. <laughs> yeah i fucking um no dude i that's actually a good question as far as like uh, the golden age like late 70s early 80s like heavyweights yeah so for instance like could you see bevel beating up guys like Marte paulo john conti like marvin johnson marvin johnson yeah Mm -hmm. Saad muhammad I mean, dude, I think Saad Muhammad, unfortunately, gets sucked into the brawls so much that, like, that's... And, and he got, he used to get cut real bad, too. Like, he had uh, an issue with cuts. That's two pretty big strikes against him, against somebody who's a little bit better schooled, like Bivol. So... I can't see Bivol getting caught up in some shit with him, either. I could, yes. Yeah, like, especially <laughs> if it's, like, late in the fight, and Bivol's like, I got this well in hand, and, you know, Matthew Saad Muhammad pulls out... One of his miracle Matthew moments. That shit could be pretty fucking. Well, I mean, Beeble did get hurt against um, Joe Smith at one point, didn't he? That yeah, he did. That's true. Yeah, and that almost kind of looked for a minute. People were like, "Oh, is he kind of fragile?" Like, I think since then he's taken a couple where it's like, "Okay, he's okay." He kind of got caught weird, and Joe Smith can punch a bit, but even so, um, dude, that was a that was a hellish period for light heavyweight, bro, and a lot of really good fighters like Marvin Johnson, even. Marvin Johnson, really, really good fighter, but still got overshadowed by a couple of just better fighters. I mean, you know, just some uh, one of them just barely better. Marvin Johnson was a three-time light heavyweight champion. He only managed one title. Really good. One title defense out of three reigns. Which is and he also managed to only grow hair on one side of his head. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, he was a very good fighter. And became old. Pops when he was only like 33 or something. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm not talking shit. I'm just saying. Oh, no. Nah, he was, listen, it, it was one of those errors that, like, I think Bevo would favor well in it. And I just don't, you know, like the very, very top guys, like, I think he'd lose to Spinks. As yeah. I think um, better be would lose to Spinks. But Spinks is an all time great at light heavyweight. But yeah, skill and power at light heavyweight. At the same point, I could see Bevo boringly. I'll point Cowie just by negating you know the style that Cowie had, but it would just be a very awkward and not fun fight to watch because he wouldn't be trying to take a lot of risk against him, rightfully so. Cowie would be trying to get in, but wouldn't be able to try to wouldn't be able to break through as much as he'd want to, and it would maybe resemble a Spinks fight, but just you know, yeah, dude, I and I, I think. You put somebody with a little bit better skill in that era. I think that they're probably going to do well because there was a lot of wild shit. Now, those fighters were tough, a lot of really great fights, but, and I'm not going to say they weren't skilled, but they, you know, the kind of styles that could be, you know, controlled a little bit. And Bivol might be able to do that. Better Biev, though, I think his power That's might add a, What's that? He would have that would have been incredible for him in that era because he would have fit in so well, and his style his punching would have power made adds an extra element for incredible. sure. His style would have made for some wild brawls for that time. All right, for instance, if you put Better Be Even with James Scott, who we discussed in the last show, for the four rounds that that fight would last at the most, that <laughs> fight would be a hard burner, right? Yeah, dude, um, the inmates would have been going nuts. 
yes, everybody would be going crazy in that place. Rahway would be burnt, you know, going down to a crumble from the excitement because Scott wasn't going to back down. He was going to get right in his ass. Better be would love, you know, would love to take that and then just go right at it head to head. And then like, you know, I think better be even is, you know, better technical skill would break them down. But for like, for that would be a ridiculous four or five rounds. Um, he fit in well with Yaki Lopez, who was just a tough as nails, could box as well, and probably would last until the mid rounds before he finally got broken down and stopped. But I mean, that would have been an absolute barn burner in itself. Um, excuse me. The fight I can't think about that was salivate over would be him and Kawi. Yeah, dude. I, well, I mean, like, Anybody who is able to take better Biev's power, even if they didn't have big power themselves, dude, that could have been just a fun fight because it would have just been a fucking, it would have been a brawl. Like, Cowie against, you know, anybody who's willing to come forward is going to be fun. And Cowie is one of those dudes too, you know, very like everyone kind of thinks, oh, he was a brawler. He wasn't a brawler. Not at all. Yeah, he's he a teeny guy. He had to know how to box. Yes, he was a tiny guy who could out jab you from being only seven foot and boxing out of a crouch at light heavyweight. And then he would get in there. He was tough to hit with a clean shot, and he could counter the shit out of you with his right hand while he was smiling through that giant mouthpiece of his and just beat you up. And it looked like he was torturing you and enjoying it. And there was nothing you could do about it. He was really good and daft at slipping inside your shots. Like, he wasn't that easy to hit. And if you're going to hit him back then, you couldn't get him with the cleanest shot. By the time, you know, it really started falling apart from him is when he moved up to cruiserweight and he started getting, you know, bigger and bigger. He even still won a cruiserweight title then and gave Holyfield the best fight that division's ever had. But one of the best division, you know, and then so think about that. But that fight, here's here's a pretty good matchup, in my opinion, a pretty good matchup. What about Bivol versus Eddie Mustafa Muhammad? Fascinating style. I favor Bivol in that fight. I mean, yeah, I think Eddie Mustafa Muhammad, dude, he had problems making the weight for a while. Kind and of his past he, he had a way of. It... <sighs> Muhammad, you know, if you read a lot of articles over the year about him, if you watch his fights, the dude was obviously supremely talented, gifted, in fact, in some ways. You know what I mean? Inconsistent but sometimes. It was consistency with him and just passivity and other things. Like he just didn't, you know. Yeah, he'd like take rounds off where he just like wouldn't throw yeah. and it'd be like, the fuck he is he doing? Shit and anything. And like, you know, he was one of those guys that like he was around a little bit before the golden age really came in. Like, he was... Yeah, he missed well, it by just a bit. I mean, he was in it, but, like, he was already there in the early 70s. Like, he was one of those guys that, like, even before Saad Muhammad and them started coming on, like, you know, in the late 70s, like, he fought Saad early on and beat him by decision. But, like, he was one of those guys that was already... He was a part of the era of, like, Galindez, right? Like, you know, post-Bob Foster... And then the the Galindas era that kind of segued into the late 70s where Marvin Johnson, Saad Muhammad, yep. Michael Spinks came in and the rest of them. You know what I mean? Yeah, he was kind of caught in the very beginning of those newer guys coming in or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And, like he was already a veteran by the time they started they, by the time everyone else started coming in. But he still yeah. was able to put it together. And if you were able to see the brilliance of him, you watch his fight with a guy like uh with Marvin Johnson when he won the title brilliant fight you know what i mean brilliant performance by him you put it together that night and this was after this point you know when you think about it he had already lost a few times including a title fight to galindis in the in the, in the mid 70s he had he had a long career that compared to guys of this era would already be like on the verge of maybe retiring you know or being on the end of it and then you know then he ends up finally winning a heavyweight championship um by stopping marvin johnson and then when he loses it to Spinks, that was a competitive fight too. 
Like he was doing really well early on before he claims he got thumbed or whatever it was, but his eye blew up. And then Spanks, you know, took over the way he did and he lost the decision. His career never really gained the momentum it should have after that. Like he still had some memorable knockouts, but if not memorable wins, like, you know, remember Lottie Mawali, another contender from that era, mm. knocked the shit out of him. Poor guy. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, he was on the receiving end of a few bad ones. <laughs> Look, man, I like Mawali. First off, I just like his name, Lottie Mawali. It's just fun to say. And he was a tough fighter. He was a good fighter. You know, he beat Marvin Johnson, in fact, actually, as a pro. And, you know, um, I forgot exactly what country he was from, from Africa. I have to look it up again. But he was a really, really, he was a, maybe it was Zambia or something. I don't know. But he was a, he was a tough guy. Like a really, really tough guy. And I feel like I should know that. I don't know why. Yeah, Zambia. You're right. Cool. So, Tough guy, you know what I mean? Like who had a saw he was undefeated when he fought Saad, but yeah, he became a highlight reel. You know what I mean? Because not only does Saad knock his mouth, just one of those dramatic knockout, uppercut knockouts you'll ever see. The way he puts his hands up Ali style after he knocks him silly is just kind of like damn. Well, like even the punch and he because he goes like and like winds up, and then the way he just like it's so fucking dramatic. It looks not real. And then when he fights um, Eddie Mustafa Muhammad, he gets hit with a shot and like he kind of turns away. And I think uh, Muhammad catches him with a hook and just again knocks his mouthpiece out. Guy couldn't keep his mouthpiece out. Just lays there completely unconscious again. So, yeah, he had a, he had a few. Anyways, he had a few good wins, but and then that led to what was supposed to be a title fight rematch with Michael Spinks, and that was a whole fiasco in itself too with um, weights and stuff, right? Yeah, there's there's a a fun story about that where Burt Sugar. I almost oh, even man. hesitate to repeat it. It's more funny than anything. But Burt Sugar claimed that he found some bag of flour or sugar. I can't remember what it was, but some sort of like he said it was like a four pound bag of flour, and that he put it on the scale and it said three pounds or you know some fucking weird thing. And yeah. so, long story short, Spinks and uh, Eddie Mustafa Muhammad were supposed to rematch. And at the weigh-in, Eddie Mustafa Muhammad came in. Muhammad came in heavy. His team were and him were all like, "Oh, what happened? We were on weight." And they were claiming the scales were fucked with. Britt Sugar and some of the other people in the media were claiming that it was true that there must have been some sort of blah blah blah. And the whole thing about it was, I'm sorry, I'll I gotta say this before we move on. Fucking Marion Barry mayor of dc at the time because the fight was supposed to be in dc his wife was the one who was the inspector overseeing the fight and so people were like it's and she later on was indicted for some shit like some super shady shit and so people seized on that and were like oh it's shady we knew it was something something so what a anyway. power couple they were then huh yowza <laughs> bro yeah jeez yowza anyway you remember but, when they made fun of marion barry on the living color that shit was of course, yes of, dude i remember that entire <laughs> scandal bro that shit was fucking really got caught on video fucking oh god come on bro Thanks, do yeah. better awful but no uh so yeah like that that whole fiasco basically was kind of the downfall of eddie mustafa muhammad there and it was also obvious that he was having trouble making the light heavyweight limit before that anyway but um, yeah, I think that that would have been a fascinating matchup just because Eddie Mustafa Muhammad, 
Uh, a lot of people remember him as like a puncher. He was, he was a stylist. He was definitely kind of a more of a boxer puncher type guy, but a stylist and a stand up and a stand up fighter too. Like yeah. you know, style. So I think I would favor Bebel. I think he would just you know it wouldn't be the most exciting fight because they'd be like posing and watching and studying each other a lot. There'd be a few bursts here and there of them trying to break out, but I think that Bevel would do a little bit more um, to to eke out a decision. Um, you know, better be against against that crew again would be absolutely fascinating. I could see him breaking downside and being able to eventually stop him late, just because of the way he has his precision. I don't think you know he would get caught with some shit early on, maybe even hurt a drop a leg. I think he would just break through and eventually get through to and stop him. But that would be a breathtaking fight. Excuse me, um, Cali. I don't know. That's that's a tough one. Because, again, Cowie has one of those styles that it's not just walking in and waiting and trying to go brawl for brawl with you. Like, they're both technical dudes. So they're going to butt heads. It's just going to be like two bulls colliding, but, like, in a brilliant infighting way. Like, I don't think there'd be a lot of clinching. It would just be, like, you know, a grinding-ass fight. And I don't know. I'm That one I'm going to have a toss-up on, to be honest. Yeah, dude, I think we've seen them. Yeah, see, now I feel bad because right at the start of this, I was like, we haven't seen enough of these guys. We can't talk about this. I didn't mean we can't talk about it, but just that I'm like, I don't know, because it's tough to say, especially when we're comparing to fighters who professionally fought like 50, 60, 70 times or whatever, and you got a lot of really good looks at them. So, but nonetheless, yeah, dude, I think that skill-wise, both of them fit probably in better than you know what a lot of people might think. Sure. I don't know. I, yeah, I think that better be it would, would do really well in that era. Yeah, I mean, um, could he have won a strap? Potentially. Absolutely. I think he would have been a long reigning champ. No. Same thing goes for Bevo. Like, it was just one of those eras that, like, you had a lot, a lot of tough guys. And I think they proved themselves to be, like, a commodity over the types of, like, Jerry the Bull Barton and Jerry Celestine and, you know, other really tough uh, contenders of there. Even Yaki Lopez and Jesse Burnett and other guys from that. But, like, it would just, it would be fascinating to see them compete against guys like, you know, Spinks and the rest of them. So I think a lot of history types, not us, of course, <laughs> but a lot of history fans and shit, they, they mistake or confuse entertainment for skill. Like, you know, the, the I'm not saying that the fighters from the 80s or 70s weren't skilled, but some of, a lot of what happened in terms of the entertainment and the thrilling fights, because they were brawling, not all of them. But I mean, you know, that doesn't the entertainment and thrilling doesn't equal skill. So in any case, dude, we got to talk about Canelo because if we didn't talk about it, I don't even. Yeah, we got to get the super middleweight now. Shorter division historically in terms of, you know, people to draw from. But still, there's some. Who who do you think would um, for a fight at that division? Who would you match him up with? I mean, I think the the obvious that everyone's going to go for it. What's that? Right, I would say either Roy or Joe Calzage. Those are going to be the two that people are going to go for because it's like they probably had the most prominent super middleweight runs thus far, or you know, or the the two top that people would point to because uh, Roy that seemed to kind of be his peak. Uh, he had grown and started definitely filling out for a middleweight and move and kind of grew into his power a little bit, but was still extremely fast, still mobile. His mm-hmm. like I know he had problems with his knees in the nineties. And so his knees didn't really seem to be fucking up. He was still moving around really well at super middleweight beat James Tony, which was a massive win. 
you know, so I mean, and then Joe Calzage is probably considered the greatest super middleweight. I mean, I'm not going to argue with anybody. I don't really di- agree or disagree. I don't really care. You don't think it's Van Aki? The hell's wrong with you, man? I don't know, man. It could be. <laughs> God. I didn't, and it's, it's Spenake's style was so, ah, too. God damn, he had like zero. How did he knock out Mundine? How did that happen? I don't know, man. Mundine Bro, like was every clip fight, of that has been scrubbed from the fucking internet. I'm telling you, like every oh, clip of that He was winning that, that fight too, apparently. Like apparently. Yeah, he was. He was, dude, because everyone, because it was like his, it was like his like 10th pro fight or something. Yeah. And everyone was like, oh, he he was a pro rugby player. Like that was his whole thing, and he just walked in. What the fuck? We're getting off track, but that was so weird. <laughs> I never understood that. I still don't get it. I just he got knocked unconscious too, like unconscious. Like his head, like hit his shoulder, but it was like the lightest punch. How did that happen? It's weird, fucking weird. Anyway, play uh, Max Schmeling. I don't know why. I'm just gonna say he put some kind of jinx on it. It's so fucking weird. Even if he might have been dead, what year was that? It was probably early two thousand. So yeah, I blame. They him. brought in the same weird witch doctor they brought in for Ray Leonard Ayub Kalule. That's what they did. <laughs> no, no, it was Livingstone Bramble's witch doctor, the one that was his high school <laughs> basketball coach. <laughs> but um, no, all right, Canelo. Here's the fight for me that I think would be very fascinating. Because I think Roy Jones at his peak would slap Canelo up. All right, no, no offense against him. It's just Styles make fights and. Roy is too quick and athletic for him. And like the peak of Roy just would pot shot him the whole 12 rounds and would be a route. But Canelo against James Tony, the Tony that fought um, Iran Barkley. I mean, I mean I'm, going, I'm going with Tony. I'm going with Tony at a fight. Tony at, at that I, peak. Was I would too. It's. But, Man, James Tony's like, not gonna move like Roy Jones would move in that place. That's the thing move. is that you'd have the chance, you know, against Tony, but but he was he had the chin. That's the thing, you know. If he could fucking if he could absorb Canelo's power, which he probably could, you know. Absolutely so, would. Yeah. And and so I yeah, it would be really tough to pick Canelo in that fight, dude, because I guess maybe if he took a decision or something like that, but and then switching back with the problem with Canelo. His output, dude, his output since even fucking 154 pounds, it was less of a problem at 154. But as he started to grow or whatever, take whatever he was taking or some shit, he, his output's not good, dude. And I mean, you as a, the CompuBox, one of the CompuBox dudes, like you probably are a little bit more conscious of this when you're watching fights, but he really takes far too many like, sequences off like he yeah, needs absolutely. to throw more yeah. and you know it's almost like he feels like these rounds are just going to be in the bank because of past experiences with him and how he just you know he thinks what's his flurry which you have to you know, everyone has to agree are accurate like he, when he throws it's with a purpose oh, yeah. it's not like he's throwing not to throw like you're not wasting yeah he's not wasting energy he's never wasting anything no punches are ever wasted with him but like you said there are gaps of inactivity because of that and if a guy knows how to take advantage of that, and most fighters don't, Canelo is so brilliant that he could still negate anyone else's flurries just by not even doing anything because he's so good and adept to being defensive. I got to give him that, man. His head movement, everything is pretty brilliant. Like, he doesn't really take that many flush shots. Like, he can get tagged, but he knows how to, you know, roll with it, lean with it, whatever. Shows he has a good chin. Triple G knocked the shit out of him a couple of times. He took it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said, you know... What I mean, like, I think that would be a brilliant fight because Canelo likes to fight on the inside. He is, you know, he's mm-hmm. not going to 
And Tony is a guy that's not going to run away from you. He, like he used his legs a little bit and he was able to, you know, move and stuff, but he was always in the center of you. Yeah. He would have given him, given him some work. Yes. Like Tony was one of those guys that like, you know, George Benton and others loved because he was old school in the sense that he made you miss, but he was not like running from you. He was still in your scent, you know, in your peripheral. He just made you miss and he was still working and still beating your ass while he was making you miss. You know what I mean? And it was no clearer than in the Barkley fight. Like Barkley was one of those guys, obviously pedestrian fighter, like in terms of skill, but I mean, relentless, ferocious, hit hard as a mule. Three division champion. You know what I mean? Like, yes. Three division champion. For a guy, you know, a very, very tough guy and should be on the ballot. I don't know why he's not on the Hall of Fame ballot. Regardless, whatever happened to him out that canister or some shit, the fact that he's not on the ballot, as Van Ocke's on the ballot, Arthur Gregorian and that's a whole other discussion for another time. But like the fact that he's not and others are is ridiculous, whether you vote for him or not. But at that point, he had beaten Tommy Hearns in a rematch. Um, he had knocked the shit out of Darren Van Horn. Let's Horne. never talk about that again. But that's true. He did. Yeah, the first, the only person <laughs> that beat Tommy Hearns by decision, correct? I hate to say that, but yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, my um, boy. Look what they it looked like the elephant man at the end of the fight too. Man. Oh man, yeah, like he he did he really was not super far in the rematch, but he just for whatever reason that clubbing style he just couldn't get past it. Yeah, but Barkley was riding a high, you know, and um, James Tony as middleweight, even though you know he was considered one of the best fighters in the world, and um, I'm not sure if he was already put in that video game before he beat Barkley or not. But Legends of the Ring boxing is Legends Oh, yeah, of- that's right. Because it was all middleweights. So I'm almost assuming that he was put in it before the fight, because I don't know. When did that game come out? I'll have to look it up. Yeah, look that up, because I'm actually curious now. One of the greatest games of all time, by the way. So that was... 1993 okay he beat barkley in 93 right so yeah so i guess depending on when it came out they probably were in production of it before he beat barkley i would assume yeah of of course it's tough to look up because now there's like 50,000 boxing legends and legends of boxing games (laughs) well in any case yeah that's pretty and, oh, and that was, yeah, that was the one that was uh, sponsored by The Ring. That's right. It was great game. I mean, that fucking game still rocks today. But anyways, Tony, that night that he beat Barkley, that's one of the most brilliant performances I've ever seen in my life. Like the way he just slipped and everything in the four or five punch combinations. And when you saw him as middleweight champion, like, you know, he was already considered one of the best fighters in the world. But at that same point, it's like, he was struggling to make weight. So some of his performances were affected so you know, somewhat behind, like because of that, most notably Dave Tiberi, who everybody universally agrees got robbed in that fight against Tony. And, um, Drake thoughts. Actually, that was light heavyweight, but yeah, no, that was middleweight. No, Dave I was, Tiberi. I was about to say Drake Thodsy, but then I was like, no, oh, I think that was yeah, no, Thodsy beat him, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, I just meant like looking like shit, but no, yeah. yeah. Looking like shit. Yeah. And like other ones too, he just kind of looked, you know, meh, where uh, Glenn Wolf, you know, Tony Thornton, like he won those fights comprehensively, but it's just kind of, 
Mm. Yeah, and those were dudes that Roy Jones was putting away, you know. Badly, yeah. Poor Tony Thornton. But you look at a fight then against, you know, how he looked against um, James Tony. Not James, excuse me, Jesus Christ. How he looked against um, Iran Barkley. And that was his most brilliant performance. I mean, he just chopped yeah. an absolute bitch, bro. Like, it was efficient. Any fighter, like a guy like Eddie Fletcher and all the old timers were just sitting there marveling and just sitting there with tears in their eyes watching it like, you know, oh, that's how we, you know, remember it type of deal, right? And I think that, like, he would beat Canelo, but that would be, like, a fascinating fight to watch in the sense that, like, it, you know, like the, the boxing acumen of both guys and the fact that, like, Tony wouldn't be running away from him, so Canelo would be able to get shit off. But it would just be brilliant to see Tony slipping and sliding and trying to counter whatever you have to do. And that being said, I see Tony winning at least like 116, 112 or something. We get so, not us per, in particular, but uh, especially with like the conversations about boxing on social media these days get so uh, like smushed into like a binary type of like conversation where you talk about Canelo, for instance, mm. and it's like, yeah, he ain't shit. He's not, he's a fucking, he's cherry picking, he's manufacturing, he's nobody. And he's not even that skilled either. Or you're a massive fan. He's the one of the greatest Mexican fighters who ever lived. And I mean, you know, what it does, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of middle ground, dude, where the honest truth is far closer to the middle, where he's actually a very skilled fighter, really skilled. And yeah. he's actually had a very good resume overall. Are there asterisks? Oh, yeah. There are definitely asterisks with the fucking rehydration clauses, with the weird catch weights. Uh, you know, in some cases, the timing of some of his fights were for his opponents. Yeah, of course. But, you know, it's really difficult to deny what he's been able to do in the last handful of years and been able to consolidate the super middleweight belts, which is no small feat, not the greatest thing, but no small feat. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that makes it a lot easier to match him up against some of these greater super middleweights, dude. Somebody uh, and instead like Joe Calzaghe, though, I think that might be a really tough style for Canelo, dude, because that's going to be peck, peck, peck all night and shit. You know, I got to see Kalzaki once live against Roy Jones, and I got to see that peck, peck, peck style, like, up close and personal, man. It was, Kalzaki was one of those fighters that, like, whether you liked him or not, and, like, it wasn't a style that got everybody really hyped. I get it. Like, some people used to call him Joe Cal Slappy, right? Yeah, that was, yep, on the message boards. Everybody, Cal Slappy, that's what they called him. Cal Slappy, yeah. Yep. But, I mean, he had a very awkward, tough style, and he was tough as nails himself. Like, he had a very fluid, you couldn't predict how he was going to fight, too, some way. And you got to remember, like, his dad was a jazz musician. And his dad, even, like, in interviews and stuff, talked about how he would use how jazz music and kind of use the interpretive, like how freestyle it is over there and like everything and kind of interpret and incorporate that into Joe's style, meaning very free-formed and like loose and you ain't going to predict your shit. Improvisational, yeah. Exactly, exactly. You go off of what your opponent's giving you. Totally. Everything off of jazz is improvisational <laughs> and he made his Joe style improvisational in itself. And um, whether you liked it a lot or whether you liked it a lot or not, and sometimes it wasn't fun to watch. Like some of his fights were really awful, but when he was able to put it together, Kalzaki was absolutely brilliant. Absolutely fucking brilliant. I mean, look at what he did to Jeff Lacey. Granted, Lacey was looking like Mike Tyson on Showtime for a little while at that point, but I mean, Kalzaki shut him down in one of the most complete performances in a big fight we've ever seen since the, um, 
maybe the biggest, the most complete performance we've seen in a big fight since 2000. I'm not even going to front that. <laughs> this complete shutdown. One of those that we haven't, um, might not have been eclipsed since uh, Crawford Spence. Like it was one of those just type of like, holy shit, you know what I mean? It's easy to forget. Uh, it's it's not easy to forget for the British fans. <laughs> They'll bring that shit up every moment. But a lot of American fans forget how much uh, the the American boxing media was behind Jeff Lacey going into that fight. And I mean, of, so of course, it, he was looking I'd like rub that shit like in too. He was. I mean, did you ever get to see him back then, Lacey? Jeff Lacey? Yeah. Because like, I know I mean, he's on like, TV, he's obviously. Him all the time. Oh, you never you didn't see him live or anything. Oh. Uh, I'm trying to think. I don't think that I did, but I might have to look real quick because I don't. Did I see the Ruben Williams fight? Oh, God. No, 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 no. I wasn't there for that. No, I don't think I did. I mean, he blasted my boy Scotty Pemberton, too. Oh, yeah, dude, Scott. And he was long in the tooth by then. Full had been inactive for a while. And... Yeah, Scott. I mean, like, I'm glad Scott got the payday and everything, but he had no business being in there. Regardless, Lacey was looking like an absolute monster. He He was, you know. And no one thought that Kalzaki was going to put on the performance. Like, people thought he could win. Don't get me wrong. He beat the shit out of him. Bro, he pummeled him so bad that Lacey was never the same. That career was ruined. Like, ruined. You know, Lacey got on HBO a couple of more times. um, Had that, I think his last big fight on HBO was against Jermaine Taylor, which he got whooped on pretty bad. Then he got stopped by Roy Jones, who like looked ridiculous as Captain Hook and kind of faded off into the sunset. Yeah, and got a got a threatening legal letter because he was doing Disney characters. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. That, yeah. I'm sorry though. There's like that one photo of Roy though holding the glove in the thing. He's just yep. <laughs> just and he's even got the wig on and shit. Yeah, exactly. He got the wig. Yeah, the whole man. yeah man. Could you like really, bro? <laughs> Fucking ridiculous. So, yeah, dude, he beat he beat the ever loving shit out of poor poor Jeff Lacey. And you know, actually another also really good performance, even though it was it was a closer fight, obviously closer than the Lacey fight, was the Mikkel Kessler win, dude. Kessler was undefeated yes. and he still Absolutely. went on to do some shit. And the thing about that too is that like the first three rounds, Kessler was landing and looking good. Like he was landing uppercuts, he was yep. landing jabs, and like it seemed like he was timing Kalzaki and his like, you know, rushes and everything. But like you said, improv. Obvization. Kalzaki adjusted, started coming at him from different angles. Kessler, who, as good as he is, was a more, was a more economical fighter, who was clearly flustered by everything coming at him. He just kind of got overwhelmed. And then it was a competitive fight, very competitive, but Kalzaki yeah. clearly won by by decision. So I'd have to say the same thing. A guy like Canelo who doesn't throw enough and kind of waits and everything like that, Kalzaki would just kind of flurry and beat him. And it would be a competitive fight, kind of close, but one that Kalzaki clearly wins. I know that it almost said, pains me to say, but I I agree with you. That being said, I'd favor Canelo against Nigel Ben. Um, I'd favor and that Canelo. crop. Yeah, like that. You could just lump them all yeah. together. You're at Nigel Ben, Chris Eubank. Steve Collins might beat him. That'd be a tough fight. That would be a really tough fight. Steve Collins was tough as nails. He gets forgotten I, in that conversation, bro. And how? He and, got you know, it, it's because they, you know, the thing is that everybody just kind of groups together. Um, McCallum, I was going to say McCallum, excuse me. McCallum would definitely beat the shit out of Canelo too. Excuse <laughs> me. <laughs> yeah, he would. He'd come up from 154 and whoop his ass. 
Uh, he absolutely would have. I don't want to hear anything. Mike McCallum definitely would have whooped Canelo's ass. Nothing against Canelo, but that would do is a different beast. Uh, but, um, you know, the thing is that Steve Collins kind of gets lost in the mix is that Ben and Eubank were making their bones against each other. Like, that was yeah. the rivalry in the early 90s. And while they were having that rivalry, Collins wasn't there. You know what I mean? Like, he was in, he was a contender. He was a top, he was a tough contender too, and a top contender, but you know, he lost a competitive decision to Mike McCallum. He lost a competitive decision to Reggie Johnson. And you know, he was one of those guys that was on the scene. I think he won the WBO middleweight title for like a cup of coffee. I think he beat like Chris Pyatt or some shit, but then like he gave it up to 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 fight um Eubank. And, and you and I have talked about this before too, and that was back when like the WBO was like real people. Exactly, were like, it was mm-hmm. only in Europe that they really like gave a shit about yeah. it. I mean, it was kind of like the Mars bar. You ever see that in America? <laughs> <laughs> I'm being honest, like yeah. <laughs> Mars bar is an underrated candy bar, but I mean, how many times do you really see it over here? <laughs> yeah, you never see that. Nobody who wants a Mars bar. Exactly. <laughs> Yo, so Give me Abba Zabba. <laughs> <laughs> give me a whatchamacallit but um yeah that's a pretty good one too it is very underrated candy bar by the way but by the time steve collins finally got a hold of eubank in was it 95 and I, yeah this was 95 because i read about it in the first ring magazine i got it they talked about how collins hired a hypnotist and eubank got all freaked out by it <laughs> like <laughs> such a weird guy <laughs> yeah and ended up losing the decision, which was, you know, definitely a big win. But, like, he lost the decision to him, and then he lost a rematch and kind of retired for a few years before he would come back against Carl Thompson. Um, and then he moved on to Ben. And by the time he moved on to Nigel Ben, Ben had already lost to Sugar Boy Malinga, and he was already a former champion, right? And this was clearly after the um, Gerald McClellan fight, and people already knew he was already, like, on the back end a little bit. So he beats Ben. And I remember the first fight, I think it was like anticlimactic. Ben just kind of gave up for like an injured ankle or some shit or whatever it may have been. And it's like he beat him in a rematch. Again, Ben got stopped and he quit. He retired. So Collins is kind of left alone at this point in limbo. You know, Roy Jones is clearly the, the superior number one super middleweight. Um, Frankie Lyles is around at this time. What's Steve Collins doing? Steve Collins is definitely making big money, you know, on Frank Warren cards. And I think he's featured a couple of times on Showtime, but it's like, he's kind of left in limbo without like a serious dance partner to like, really, you know what I mean? Yeah. It was like bad timing on his part. It was. It came along at the wrong time. And even though he was around the same era of those guys, they were just already at that championship level. Yeah. They already had that shit going on between them. Exactly. So by the time he finally got to it and was able to beat them, it was like, well, now I got nobody else. And, and back then, then they didn't care about like, oh, well, we need the WBO belt too. They were just like, fine, be the oh, WBO yeah, champion. Yeah, Good yeah, luck, buddy. Yeah. So like, and I forgot the reason why he retired. I don't know if it was injury or whatever it was, but like he tried to come back. He was going to make a comeback. And I remember after what it might've been, it might've been the Ricky Frazier fight. I don't know, but he was scheduled. He was going to, he was talks to him fighting Roy Jones and he like crashed Roy Jones interview. And he was like, yeah, yeah, Roy, Roy, come on, you know, we're going to fight. Blah, blah. And Roy's just, you know, talking the same shit. But then, like, I think he suffered a brain bleed and sparring or something. Clearly that curtailed it. But he was, that's why he's underrated. And that's why he's forgotten about. Because, like, he just came right before Kalzaki. Like, he retired right before he cut a foul Kalzaki, right? 
you know, Eubank lost to him twice. Eubank lost to Kalzaki and then retired and then came back to fight, whatever. And that was it. So who knows? He could have fought Kalzaki. That, you know, but like that would have been a fascinating fight. I could see Canelo beating him by like the close, like a very, very close decision and people thinking that Collins, you know, would have got robbed. I can't see Canelo stopping him. Collins was a rock solid dude. You couldn't hurt him in the chin. Could have hurt him, you know, his reserve. And, um, but I think Canelo would might have been a little, you know, too savvy for him to eventually he'd be able to outpoint him. Yeah, Collins, that would be a hell of a fight, though. Collins, Canelo, dude, just two Irish guys fighting. <laughs> <laughs> like, but again, you know, I can see Canelo just because of styles. I can see him beating um, Eubank just because Eubank again would fight to the level of his opposition. Meaning, I think he would, you know, absolutely, absolutely step it up for Canelo. But like his passivity and the way he kind of was, kind of like Eddie Mustafa that. Canelo will be able to eat by him. Not in a very exciting fight either. Um, ben would be exciting because Ben would just bring the heat and not give a shit. Yeah, he'd probably get knocked out trying to knock Canelo out, but still. Yeah, I think Ben be would fun. get stopped in the middle rounds. Absolutely. But it would be a hell, it would be a lot of fun in there. Would Canelo absolutely get a rock at some point? Yeah. All, all due respect, Canelo's no Lou Gent. Nah. And then other super middleweights from that era, I Frankie Lyles, Canelo, I think would beat him. Even though that wouldn't be a fun fight to watch, um, it would yeah, be like Miles is a great again, amateur like, too. Great amateur, and a lot bigger than Canelo too. Kind of mm. you know the same mold of Beevil, but I don't know. You know, I I see Canelo just being like you know the lower tier super middleweights that are out there. But like to talk about the top three guys, even Andre Ward, that would be a fight that I think I would favor Ward in because Ward was one of those guys that was like you know he just he was a chameleon. He knew how to adapt to any style if he necessary and like you know work his style toward that and. I think he has more layers than Canelo did and more uh, more um, tricks up his sleeve where he'd be able to, like, you know, win an easy, not easy, but a competitive decision. Yeah, I'm so, pretty sure he would have would have uh, gotten the decision over both Canelo and Golovkin when, when those fights were being talked yes. about. I mean, sure. I'm, I'm definitely 100% not the biggest Andre Ward fan at all, and I think he's kind of a dickhead. But if we're talking simply in the ring, he was pretty fucking good. Sure. Middleweight, I don't even know who's at middleweight right now, man. Call me a casual for that point, but I don't even um, think we... <laughs> uh, yeah, Alim Kanuli. Uh, uh, cool. <laughs> fucking... <laughs> yeah, John Abek. John Abek. I can not uh, remember his fucking... John Abek, Alim Kanuli. And... Yeah, Marvin Hagler kills him. Okay, down to junior middleweight. <laughs> and Eris Landy Lada, who's like, dude, what? Yeah, yeah. With all due respect, Lada, come on, dude. He gets caught on the chin by pretty much anybody who could punch it at this stage, and it's no. Yeah, so let's skip that. Okay, so we're down to junior middleweight. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're just like, all right, we're running out of fucking motherfuckers to talk about. But I mean, yeah, I mean, you're going for Jermel Charlo, Tim. Well, Tim this Zoom. is what I want to talk about. Here you go, Jermel Charlo, Terry Norris. That's one fight I was thinking about. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know what? Here's the thing. I think Norris beats him. Norris, all right. Like I, I'm gonna be biased here. Norris is. I've I've talked about this plenty of times. Growing up, he was my favorite fighter. I'm always gonna be a big Terry Norris fan. But that being said, like I just think his overall skill set, as aggressive as Norris was, as angry as he was, how he can be in the ring and like you know lose his head or whatever. There was something about his style that still made him so compact. Like he was, he oh, never he was fast fought. as fuck, and he and never really lost his like skill. Like he didn't get, he never 
he never got crazy. Like he never just let himself go where he got wild. Yeah. He got wild with the fouls, not the punches. <laughs> there you go. No, straight up though. No, he had good yeah. technique, uh, very good footwork, a uh, very fast hands, threw in combination, good power. That the li- obvious liability was his chin. He just didn't take a super great punch. And a lot of people remember, like, you know, they'll go back and be like remembering the Simon Brown fight, you know, and the that's the type of shit they remember, but they don't remember. He made a lot of defenses at junior middleweight and did really well for a long time. I mean, Norris, again, he comes from one of those eras that he came on the tail end of like the eighties. Right. So he fights Julian Jackson for the belt. Originally. Yeah. Caught Julian Jackson just at the wrong time. Unfortunately, if he would have been like a year later, he'd been okay. Me, who knows even at that point too, because Jackson was still a beast around 1990, 91 as Harold Graham found out. <laughs> um, Jackson got his ass kicked the first round. Norris went in for the finishing round two and, you know, got left with a concussion. Happens oh, to the best. Frozen on the ropes like that? Oh, yeah, man. yeah. It happens to the best of them back then. But, like, when Norris became champion later on that year, he knocks out John the Beast Mugabe. Um, I think it was in early 1990 he did that. That yeah, was the knockout of the year. Yeah, he went on a campaign of just kind of beating on the retreads of the 80s. Like, knocked out Mugabe beat up a shell of Sugar Ray Leonard, Donald Curry. Um, I'm not going to put Rene Juco in that group because, yeah, but, you know, he just beat up a bunch of former champions, right? And on his way to, like, you know, losing that fight to um, originally to Simon Brown, Norris was a whirlwind, man. Like, there was just something about that guy. Like, clearly he was angry and had, like, a Mike Tyson-esque, like, aura about him of just he wanted to break your face off. But he was so technical about it that made him so beautiful. You know what I mean? Like that he just kept his hands up and the way he would throw his hooks and uppercuts and right hands and everything like that. Like, and you could see him slip and you could see him do all that. And Charlo was a good fighter. Don't get me, you know, not acknowledging how he looked against Canelo because he looked like absolute ass in that fight. But the Charlo that we've seen at his peak, and he's a kind of similar to Norris too, I would say, just not as explosive. And maybe not as like fluid in terms of like how he can let his combos go as Norris was. But if you see the style, they're both like, you know, kind of technical walk forward pressure boxers. Right. But I just see Norris being a little bit more faster and a little bit more fluid that he would be able to like outbox him for the, you know, most of the majority of the fight if he didn't lose his head. Which would be tough because the press conference, you know, both of them would be talking shit. And Charlo would be running his mouth so much that Norris would absolutely try to attack him at one point. <laughs> That's true. That would have been a pretty fiery fucking fight, dude, for sure. Yeah, yeah I mean, dude, Jamel, yeah, dude, we've seen him at, it, we've seen a pretty good peak from him. I don't, I mean, I'm assuming that it, we're not going to see anymore. I don't know, though. Um, but I mean, at his best at 154, dude, he probably gives a lot of fighters a lot of problems because he's got a the kind of style that's like a good mix of boxing and punching that is, you know, tough to deal with. It's tough to outbox, tough to outpunch because he's got a kind of nasty streak himself. You know, yeah. you've got some dog in him. So if you back him up, I mean, not so much against Canelo. I'd like, like you said, that was just a different, I don't, it, it, he fought that like Roy Jones fought Tarver in the third fought, just third fight, just trying not to get his ass kicked kind of, you know, and that was not impressive at all. But, Again, yeah, I think against somebody like Terry Norris, dude, I don't know. His chin is a problem, but Terry Norris also, I think he would have come in there with a plan, dude. Yeah, I mean, the power boxing that Norris did, he's faster on the feet than I think Charlo is. And bad, faster hands. 
he could get caught. Like, I mean, in between combinations, like we saw uh, Danny Garcia catch Amir Khan that time with the left hook. Like, people can get caught. And Norris could definitely, if he gets caught, he can get dropped. I mean, Norris had a had a tendency to stay in too much in the pocket sometimes, if he, especially if he was feeling himself. That's how he got caught against Troy Waters. Remember, he was just right on the inside and just beating the shit out of him. And Waters just, ah, caught him once there. And then you all of a sudden you see Norris just, you know, go briefly to a knee and looking – shaking his head and all that but like that's what makes that fight intriguing like that would have been a fire fight but i would have to favor norris i probably would too yeah so i mean i'm trying to think of like uh a pretty good era of, i mean i think denny moyer was like the first 154 pound champion i want to say okay so like it'd have to be after that obviously but emil griffith he's somebody who is up there and i mean dude you know uh middleweight probably wasn't his best weight emil griffith that is 147 154 he's a real tough fighter to deal with without question and i think that uh, he i mean probably... he, he wins the decision over charlo definitely yeah i think that he'd probably defeat he works him and he out shuffles him everything like he doesn't stop him or nothing like that but charlo's not doing shit with griffith griffith yeah. was one he's an all-time great he could take it from the best the only time he was like completely obliterated and stopped was against um uh reuben carter like, when he moved um, up yeah when he moved up i mean he got stopped against um uh munzon as well but i'm not i'm talking about like straight up not silly yeah you that know? was when he like almost had no hair on the top of his head anymore yeah he, like he was it was the late 70 plus he went in a rematch and almost beat munzon anyways but like yep this was like i'm talking straight up just like obliterated that was the only time. And Charlo's not doing that with him. Once Griffith got into his zone, too, like, it would be close for the first few rounds because Griffith took a little bit to warm up. And sometimes, you know, he would be, like, a little distracted or whatever. But once, like, Gil Clancy and um, uh, Howie Albert, you know, kind of slapped him back in the notice and, like, you know, get your ass in gear, that was it. That's when he would start pulling away on guys. Especially if the fight was held at MSG, which was Griffith's home. Nah, Charlo was not doing nothing with that. Yeah. Emil would smack him around and then make him a hat. He would. He would absolutely do that. Each round, he would get more stronger because Emil Griffith was the quintessential 15-round fighter. You know, he, he really was. He was one of those guys that got stronger as the fight went on, and by the time 14-15 came on, he was really churning at that point. Like, he was built for that. So. All right, here's a good one. Here's a good one, then, before we move on from Charlo. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure I know how you're going to answer. Charlo versus Felix Trinidad, 154. Um... <laughs> Trinidad might get dropped early. Possible. Maybe. Uh, and it'd only wake him up. It'd only just make him mad. Trinidad's going to beat the shit out of him, bro. Trinidad at 154 is an absolute monster. I think in it, out of all the divisions he competed in, 147, 54, and 60, 147, 154 was his absolute best. Um, when David Reed dropped him, Reed was more explosive than a Charlo. Like, just faster. I don't know. I think Charlo actually might beat Reed if they put them head-to-head -head in a professional fight just because of how their styles played out. Yeah, but um, Reed was one of those guys that, like, I mean, the way Trinidad looked at that division, man, he was almost unbeatable. He was a beast. Like, that was perfect for him. You know, everything came together. And it was at 154 where people were wondering, could he beat Ray Robinson? Could he beat Roy Jones? Could he do this? Could he do that? That was at that division where he was just ruining careers. He ruined Reed's, Reed's career. It took a little bit longer for Vargas, but he essentially ruined his career, too, for the most part. Like, nah. <laughs> yeah, man. that might have gotten bad. <laughs> I 
I mean, Tito, I'm pretty sure I know how you're going to different, answer. different type of animal. And that's no knock against Charlo. It's just literally Trinidad was an absolute monster at that weight. And like, I thought Reed would beat him that fight. I did. You know what I mean? Like, I just figure that, like, I saw how Trinidad looked against De La Hoya and others. I thought that Reed was in his prime, wouldn't be able to, you know, was going to put on a peak performance. And for like three, four rounds, I looked like the biggest fucking genius in the room, right? You know what I mean? He was outboxing them, beating him to the punch. Trinidad couldn't, was woofing on his hook and other stuff. Reed, excuse me, Reed dropped him. And then <laughs> once he got caught, and Reed got that stupid smile on his face, like, oh, shit, I'm in trouble now. When he got dropped, I'm like, well, there goes that. Yep. He just suffered one of the worst ass kickings you can have. Yeah, possibly. then he just whooped his ass the rest of the time. It was bad. Yeah, yeah I'd probably go with Tito, too. That's just it's, it's not even a probably for me. I think he knocks him senseless. Yeah, <laughs> wrong fight. So, oh, hey, would you? So, at one, would this make this that one? Here's one for you 154 or 147. This is a fight I just thought of Errol Spence against Simon Brown. Man, I mean, Errol could thump, dude. And yeah. but that's the thing <laughs> that would that would have been fun because that probably because Errol could box. I, I mean, honestly, Simon Brown could box too. It wasn't like he. Yeah, yeah that probably could have been a fun fight, like a good fight, a mixture of like you know punchers, but also some skill there. That would be the hell of a scrap. <laughs> I know there's well, a lot of people. Like, you want to put Errol Spence at welterweight against Simon Brown, that like beat Tyrone Trice and was like going through the rest of the division. That's a fight. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, I know there's there's going to be a lot of fans of boxing now who are going to be like, "That's Errol Spence you're talking about," and like. Well, look up yeah. Simon Brown. Simon Brown <laughs> was an absolute bruiser. One of those guys that came up in the you know the mid '80s, lost a close decision to Marlon Starling for like the NABF or USBA belt or whatever it was, but it was just Jamaican, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, was based in DC though. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Like he, but he was from Jamaica. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jamaica. And. Just a beast, you know what I mean? A dude who like had fucking monster power in both hands, relentless. But like you said, he wasn't just a brawler. Like he could box. It was like precision to his game. He was a pressure boxer, like the worst type of fighter. You know what I mean? And plus, he could take a punch too. Later in his career, when people see him laid out by Hopkins and others, like, well, no, he couldn't. Trust me. Some guys lose their chin by the. Yeah, end. that was already several years after you know he. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If up. you take enough dents to the chin, eventually it's gonna crack. So, but. Simon Brown in his prime was another guy that should be on the ballot, at least for the Hall of Fame. And it's kind of a wonder why he's not. And um, a beast. So fights Tyrone Trice for the for the vacant title. Back and forth. Absolute war. One of the better fights of the uh, one of the best fights of the late 80s. Ends up stopping him for the strap. Goes on a record number of defense, not record, but like a number of defenses beating the shad of who's who of that division, too. You know what I mean? Guys like Jorge Vaca, Ray Massonet, and a bunch of other dudes whooping on them. And loses uh, an upset to Buddy McGirt, who was moving up from junior welterweight. McGirt had a number of wins, but McGirt was kind of thought to be on the back end himself. And McGirt ends up putting on the most, you know, complete performance of his career to beat Brown. No shame in that, especially when a guy of, you know, McGirt at his level, if he's going to put on the best performance career, he'd better put that on against a guy like Simon Brown, who would have fucking decapitated him, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, that's the fight where you can't make a whole lot of mistakes. And he didn't. Yeah. He didn't. He didn't. You know, just, some guys just have that one performance in them where it's absolute perfection. McGurk had that that night. It is what it is. But he moves up, you know what I mean? And when he fights Terry Norris, 
Norris is one of those dudes who, at this point, he's pound for pound top three in the world. Some people have him number one, just depending on where you want to leave yeah, him. Yeah, considered a massive upset. Massive upset. Norris at that point, like I said, the last time he had lost, I think, was to Julian Jackson. You know, he was a longtime champion at junior midway. And besides the aforementioned names we mentioned uh, of the of the guys from the 80s, he was blasting the shit out of dudes who had no business being in the ring with him. That's what you're supposed to do with these fucking fringe contenders who you get put yeah, in exactly. with. Exactly. supposed to go route them like Shakur Stevenson yeah, for 12 you rounds. Can't, you can't ask anything more. If you're, take, if you're taking them out like you should, then that's all you do. What are you going to do? Yeah, like guys like Brett Lally and Arturo Gotti's brother, Joe Gotti, and even Troy Waters, who heard him, and a couple others. Like Norris was taking these guys out in three rounds or less, all right, ruthlessly knocking the shit out of him and then running over to them and <laughs> talking shit to them while they're laying there, like, you know, shaking and having convulsions and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Got his lopsided high top fade up in their face. Absolutely. And that, like, you, <clears throat> that's what you're supposed to do to contenders like that. You know what I mean? Guys who don't belong in the ring with you. Spence did that too, to his credit too, when he was welterweight champion guy, you know, when he got put in a couple of those scrubs on Showtime, he took them out in the first two rounds or so. That's what you're supposed to do with these guys. And but that's what made the aura of Norris was that, like, he looked angry while he did it. And, you know, while Mike Tyson was going to jail and other stuff, like, Norris was that kind of, like, angry guy. We were like, holy shit, man. Like, yeah, he kind of filled that role for a minute, yeah. Absolutely. For it to us, yeah, like a smaller dude. Him and Gerald McClellan, like, A, you know, A and B for that. Yep. <laughs> Just angry so, punchers. Really? Like, how did Burt Sugar describe George Foreman? He'd walk in, growl, throw punches, and go home. <laughs> so it's like um when simon brown went in there for that fight even though he was a former champion the people thought he was on the back end and he was going to be a sacrificial lamb from norris nah first you know right away beat him like with a jab in the first round and, or what was it round one or round two whatever caught him with a jab and you saw norris's legs he went down and you hear um steve albert down goes norris what a shocker because, like, I don't think they, I thought they thought that was almost like a flash knockdown. So they weren't that excited, but they were just kind of like, oh. And then you saw what happened. Norris got bounced around like a fucking ping pong ball that fight. <laughs> yeah. Like his legs, like his e equilibrium just was never there after he, like, got hit in with, the, with that and then, like, got hit in the temple or something. Then he was done. Like, he just couldn't quite get his legs back after that. Sure. And so, like, even Brown was already past it by that point, too. People didn't really know. You know, because he lost a very comprehensive decision to Norris in a rematch. Didn't win a round, I think, in that fight. But then when he fought Vincent Petway, who was a recent IBF champion, junior middleweight champ, they had one of the best firefights in the 90s. Another one that's not talked about enough today, but that fight was incredible. Both guys get knocked down until Brown ends up getting hit with a miracle hook that way. Oh, dude, they're like losing points left and right because they're fucking yeah. like just... It's Dude, it's like one of the dirtiest fights you could watch that like where nobody gets disqualified because they're like like smushing each other in the face and like doing this type of shit and like elbowing. It's like, Oh my God. Dude. I remember Petway ran after him after one of the rounds of the, uh, whatever. I forgot what round it was. But after the bell ended, Petway ran across the ring and spread on that step. <laughs> like, dude, they were, like, they were mad at each other. I don't know why, but they were mad. I mean, I think they both came from the same area. I want to say Petway was from that era, from the Maryland area. Brown have been right. Yeah. Well, it was, fight was held in DC. And then you have Simon, and then you have Mike Tyson on commentary calling him Petaway. <laughs> oh, Vincent Petaway over there, Petaway Petaway, you know. But that was a hell of a fight. So, anyways, Brown was just one of those rough and tumble dudes. Yeah. 
and wild knockout, wild, wild knockout. Yeah. So that being said, what do you want? Who do you think would win that? Man, I mean, I think when Simon Brown stepped up the biggest, unfortunately, usually lost. So I mean, I'd probably go with with or uh Spence? or uh, with uh, Charlo. Sorry, but. No, I'm talking about Spence again. Uh, Spence again. <laughs> or, sorry, yeah, Spence. I'd probably go with Spence. Yeah, sorry, not Charlo. I'd probably go with Spence. Um, but I mean, like, dude, when you got a guy with with power like Simon Brown, it's that's enough power that you can't you can't like sleep on that kind of guy. You can't think you're going to win that type of fight. But I'd probably go with Spence. Agreed. I think Spence would win a decision, but it'll be a tough as nails fight. Yeah, dude, it, would, it might be more difficult than people think, but just go look him up on YouTube. He's right there, you know. You could go well, see him yourself. Since we're at welterweight, um, Terrence Crawford, the king, bud. <laughs> Man, it's it's tough, dude, because, I, you know, uh, especially because, like, the recency bias, because it just happened, and, you know, we're familiar with what Terrence Crawford looks like now, so there's going to be a lot of tendency to be like, oh, dude, he's among the all-time greats, and no, he hasn't he hasn't done anything remotely close to accomplish. He's he's accomplished a lot. And in terms of skill and in terms of like the eye test or whatever, he looks fantastic. And he's I think that he would hold his own in any era. Like his skills and his power, he'd be fine. But we're talking about like, you know, is he among like the greatest welterweights of all time? Dude, that's a fucking deep division historically. You know, that's a really deep division. So that's pretty tough, man. Um, so, I mean, like, if I'm trying to, like, think of somebody who's a little bit maybe more, like, on the level or somebody who, like, makes a little bit more sense, dude. Um, gosh, that's a... Ooh. I think I'd say this. Before going to anybody specifically, I think Bud matches up well with the vast majority of fighters, and there probably aren't too many welterweights from history that, like, take him out easily or something like that. He's got dog in him. He's fucking mean and ruthless when you, you know, when he's in that mood, and he's a good finisher, a good puncher, very good skills, fast hands, fast feet. So I don't think he's the type of guy that's just going to, like, you know, oh, Ray Robinson would fuck him up, you know, Ray in two. Like, I don't think so. But... I don't think Ray takes him in two. Ray, I, I mean, he might go the distance with Ray. Who knows? But I, I wouldn't pick him to beat Ray Robinson. Yeah, that's I don't think there's too many. I want to pick any welterweight to beat Ray Robinson. Whatever. Uh, <clears throat> all right. Um, for instance, the Kings. Well, not besides Hagler. Dude, I think Hagler that. Um, I think he'd probably have, and you might, you might not. People might not like this, but I think he'd have the easiest time with Duran. Agreed. I would agree with that. Absolutely. And it's not like I'm saying Duran's bad. It's just stylistically. If you're going to go with it, if you're going to pit Crawford and Duran against each other three times, Crawford's going to beat him at some point, like maybe twice out of that, maybe. Yeah, I'd probably pick like Crawford twice, Duran once. The Duran that beat Leonard is going to be hard to beat anybody in history you know what i mean but like totally it's that being but ray said, did win some rounds in that fight it's not like he didn't win rounds it was a closest and fight and at the very end of the fight he had duran reeling a little bit like he was coming on so it's one of those you know um i agree with you though i think out of the three when it comes to styles and everything like, like that i think Duran would be the one that he would have the best chance of like getting a win over yeah leonard would be leonard would be a fascinating fight in a fight that he'd be highly competitive in. 
All right, wouldn't be a blowout or anything like that. That'd be an intense chess match that everyone yeah. would have to watch, watch and study for years on end, kind of like Tony and Mike McCallum, but even more so. And um, Pernell McGirt. Yeah. Okay, there's no power threat there, but still. <laughs> no, and I mean, Pernell McGirt is another one that should be studied in the cast of just brilliance. And it's like, that would be that would be another one, but I think Leonard and his tenacity, not to say Crawford doesn't have any tenacity. I mean, the dude should clearly is tenacious and mean, and when he has you hurt, like he has a mean dark side to him that just like will rip your head off when he has you, you know what I mean? But the, the Leonard was just different. <laughs> I can't, I can't explain yeah. it. It's like Leonard was, can just bring it to another level. They can both get touched, all right? And that's the thing that would make this fight brilliant, too, is that, like, as good defensively as they are, they weren't just predicated so much on defense. They can be touched. Crawford has shown that he can be touched. Leonard showed that he can be touched back in the day. You know what I mean? Because they were just looking also, too, like hungry sharks trying to knock your head off as well. And if they had you hurt, they didn't mind taking a punch while they were ready to take your head off. Like, it, but I think Leonard can, you know, just, I think Leonard takes him. Hearns... Hearns is a bad style matchup for anyone in history. I've, I've always said that. I mean, like, he could be beat clearly. Leonard showed that he could be eventually stopped, and I would pick maybe, you know, Robinson to beat him too and stuff. But, like, no one ever ever out, outboxed Tommy Hearns. No one. Benitez didn't. Leonard didn't. Nobody did. All right? Um, Hearns just had the, the – especially at welterweight, man. Like, once he learned how to clinch and just, like, he became overall just – the worst style for anything you can imagine. Like he was so fluid and how beautiful he could box off his jab, everything, the body punching, the lankiness, all that. And then like, it, it just would have been hard. It just would have been an absolute stylistic nightmare for Crawford. Yeah. And we can't even bring Hagler into that dude. Cause that's not fair. You know, like the size oh, not, difference is know, not. Everybody wants to bring in Hagler because he ended up fighting all those guys. But like, until Crawford proves to me that he's actually going to move up to middleweight and does something of yeah. that nature, then you can bring that up. Until then, I'm not going to mention that. What's the point? Yeah. <laughs> Canelo no. won fight, which is bullshit, because I think that was that was a fight I was kind of looking forward to seeing. Yeah, I know, dude. Canelo, time's ticking, bro. I don't know what the fuck he's doing. Because oh, I, he's that too was... small. Bro, you're not that much smaller than him. Like, that much bigger than him, really. That honestly seemed like a far more interesting fight to me than the shit they're kicking around right now. So... That was a percent. But regardless... Um, no, I mean, I think that Crawford get, goes through uh, most of these eras really well, but it's just... He does. If, if you take... All right, that's the golden age from the early, early 80s, right? Get rid of those guys now. Like, Leonard retires for a bit before he comes back. He never came back as a welterweight. Hearns eventually... Hearns moves up. Duran moves up. So now Crawford would be left with Marlon Starling, Donald Curry, uh, Lloyd Hunnigan, uh, eventually Mark Breland. You know what I mean? Guys like that. I think he beats all those guys. Yeah. Curry would have been a fascinating fight. You know, Pete, yeah, Pete until he Curry. clips him, it would be great. But I think Crawford ends up clipping him. Exactly. At some point he kept, he clips and him. Breland too. And Bird, I think has more dog than Curry too. Curry showed to be himself a tough as nails guy, especially later on in his career when like, you know, you can see he was already past it, but he still had like enough to like make things really competitive. And he would still show like brief flashes of his past, like against um, Norris, for instance, right? Norris' fight was a hell of a was a really fun fight before Norris, you know, broke him down and beat him up and stopped him. But like, there were brief flashes of moments where Curry, like, you know, throws those combinations of years ago, and he was so compact in the way he did it. Like, he was a brilliant fighter too, like very perfect in how he threw and boxed. So I get it. And he was beating McCallum, for instance, before he got clipped. But like you said, once he gets clipped, that was going to be it. And Crawford would eventually clip him. Um, Starling would have been a good fight, but Starling 
um, you know, so much with his peakable defense and stuff like that. I think, you know, Crawford switch hitting everything would be able to like beat him on a close, but, you know, comprehensive decision. And then he would have stopped Breland and he would have stopped um, Hunnigan. Yeah, dude. I mean, I think that actually a, 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 a what could have been an interesting stylistic matchup, even though I, I don't know that I don't think I would pick Oscar, but Oscar might have been a weird stylistic matchup for Bud at welterweight. That would have been a great fight. Absolutely. Thing is, too, I is know that people slag Oscar, dude, and don't get me wrong. I'm going to stop you. <laughs> He's a good fighter. Oscar was a great fighter. A great, great fighter on the cusp of being an all-time great fighter. And he didn't duck anybody. And he would have fought Crawford. And Crawford, you know, again, he's one of those guys that, like I said, he's defend like he's a great defensive fighter, but he doesn't mind getting in there and having a pot, you know, getting into a firefight. And if a guy like Green Machine, was that who caught him that time? It was, right? Green Machine, that dude. Was it? Oh, shit, I don't know. I think it was whoever it was. I can't pronounce his name. <laughs> Here, now I'm gonna have to look it up. Mm-hmm. Watch, I bet you if I Google who hurt Terrence Crawford. <laughs> oh, it was uh Indigitus Kavalowskis. Yeah, that's not Green Machine. I don't know. Was it was that is that his fucking I don't know, something like that. Yeah, but that's the dude that hurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, Crawford can get caught, like, in between shots, especially when he wants to start trading with guys. So, it's conceivable. Oscar definitely could have clawed him, you know, definitely, who was a lot better than the guys that Crawford was getting caught by. He definitely hit him, you know what I mean? And I can see Crawford tasting the canvas against Oscar, clearly. Lots of, you know, many, many great fighters did. No knock on them, no knock on Crawford. But I could see Crawford also, too, like, you know, with his switch hitting and his adaptability, as the fight got on and the rounds got on, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm losing my voice again, being able to, you know, negate Oscar as Oscar would fade as he would do in late fights, you know, Crawford being able to eke out a very close decision where Oscar say he got robbed afterwards. Totally. Yeah. You'd see Oscar walking down the hallway after the fight going, damn, I thought I won. Damn it. Yeah. Fuck. Exactly. <laughs> but I could totally see Crawford pulling ahead late as Oscar would fade. You know, mostly. Yeah, I can see that too, dude. Was able to do that too. So. Totally. There were um, a couple of those fights where Oscar just, you know, like Corte just barely eked it out and obviously didn't eke it out against Trinidad. You know, those, those yeah. do count. I mean, like, think about it. Like, I see him, I could see Crawford being Corte. That'd be a great, even though I'm a huge, like, Corte fan, I think he would beat him. Um, he definitely would have beat Jose Luis Lopez, even though Lopez would have been dangerous as shit. It's just, yeah, Lopez fun fighter, would... but yeah, just a little step below, I think. Yeah, he wouldn't have done nothing. I mean, like, he just, he was too slow, you know what I mean? And ponderous. Um, Trinidad. I favor Crawford at welterweight against Trinidad. To be honest, I you know I think that like again, Trinidad as good as Tito is as, as an all time great that Tito is and everything. I think that Crawford would That's be not able a good to, style for him. Exactly, and like he wouldn't be running like Oscar did and or anything like that. Just like I think he'd be able to pick him apart. Yeah, it's um, not a good style for him. Junior middleweight, who knows? It might be a little bit more different because Tito was, again, a different animal at that point. But 147, where you can tell he was struggling to make weight a little bit and other stuff. And, you know, I think that, like, I think I could see Crawford beating him. Um, Whitaker? Yeah. Depends what type of Whitaker you get. That's That would be <laughs> tough. 
Like, yeah, I mean, in one forty-seven wasn't wasn't Purnell's best, but but it he wasn't. still had a couple good performances there. Absolutely, and that's what I was getting at. Is that like you know you're talking about the one before the outside the ring activities caught up to him. So like, if you catch him around like the Buddy McGirt era, or you know when he fought Chavez, I I don't think Crawford beats him. I mean that that Whitaker is as smart as smart as Crawford is. Whitaker is also, you know, he just had a brilliant mind. I think he was taking a step above. Crawford might have gotten the, yeah, Crawford might have gotten the decision, but I don't think he would have beaten him. I don't even know if he would have gotten the decision at that point. I'm talking about the early one, but if we're talking about Whitaker who fought Oscar, I think Crawford would beat him by decision. Yeah, I mean, by that point, you know, Purnell just was, especially at 147 against like just bigger welterweights, dude. It was that was yeah. too tough for him. It was a little, not only that, he was I a little too old. I think he still would have made Crawford look bad. Like Crawford definitely wouldn't. Have yeah, shot. that's what I mean. Is even if Crawford wins the decision, he doesn't like beat him. Like he probably wins the decision and is pissed because he didn't get him. You know. No. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't get him, and like it would be like close enough that Whitaker did have his moments and would tag him, and like you know, think of the Tito fight. Like Whitaker, that was the one fight that Whitaker clearly lost, right? And. But that being said, there were moments in that fight where, like, again, they show flashes, like, old fighters show flashes of brilliance for, like, a round or two. And there was a round where Tito got tagged with, like, a bunch of left hands in a row, and Whitaker was just putting it on his ass really quick, you know what I mean? And it was almost like a glimpse of, like, fuck, if this dude really just had it back, like, a few years ago, what he would have done to him right now, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like, again, like, Curry, like, Curry would Terry Norris. Curry was completely spent by the time he fought Norris, but there were pockets in that fight where he would land like a four punch combination where you were just like, if this yeah, was if this guy like, were still well, around, if this was like the Curry of like the mid eighties right now, Norris would be getting his ass whooped in this fight. Like, yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. Curry was definitely one of the fighters who probably, and, and Breland, it's funny you bring them up together because those are two fighters who were both really, really, really good amateurs and sky was the limit for their, uh, potential and they both did have very good careers as is but even even so we're expected to just go farther with how great they looked for you know somewhat short period of time but Mm. yeah dude Crawford figures in against a lot of these fighters really well and I think that he probably beats Tito I agree I agree and like if you go into the 70s too like he he matches up well with anyone in history like him and Jose Napolis would have been absolutely brilliant fight and that's a good one that would be, oh my God, that would have been a great fight. And I can yeah, see it from both ways. Like Crawford could bust up Napolis's eyes that he can force a stoppage. Yeah, you know, he could. Napolis yeah, that's he could get cut. That was his problem. Oh, badly. I mean, you know, his nickname was Butter, but he also cut like fucking Butter. So it's like. <laughs> yeah, man. What's uh, homeboy Basilio's nephew? Um... Billy Bacchus. Yeah. Dude. <laughs> Fuck, man. You stupid cuts. Put that guy into the mix. Damn. Think about that. Billy Back is, <laughs> you know, I never had to buy a drink for the rest of his life. Has to buy, never has to buy a drink for the rest of his life because of nope. that. Yeah, dude. Dude. Yeah, I mean, great. Good for him. I mean, he got the win. Totally. But yeah, but we saw in the rematch. Nah, it wasn't happening. But, but I mean, um, he does match up well. You know what I mean? Even if mm-hmm. you're like, whoa, how's Terry Crawford doing against Mickey Walker? Crawford is a grappler, like with his wrestling. I could, you know, see him conceivably trying to go arm in arm with a fucking brute like Walker. Who knows? Yeah, but yeah, but you know, it, at his best at welterweight, Mickey Walker was a fucking beast. And Walker, I'm not saying that Crawford would have beat him. Okay, not at all. Like Walker, I'll say this too: with all the, for whatever reason, it's interesting. Like on all the old magazines I would read as a kid, whenever they, they whenever they would do the head to heads, 
they would a lot of times favor the current guy to beat like the old timers. Walker, I think, was undefeated in every like head to head he came with <laughs> in terms of like against like current guys. They always said that Walker would basically it always ended up with Walker more or less laughing at either Oscar's punches or Whitaker's punches or somebody, and then just beat the shit out of him and mauled them to death. Which would happen. I mean, it's you know, there's video of him. Like we could see him doing it to very a whole bunch of fighters, including a bunch of bigger fighters, too. So I yeah, mean it's, I mean a guy that was tangling with crazy. three times his size is not someone who you want to fuck with, but he I'm just crazy. measures well with anyone in history. But um I guess we can just go one more division before we're done, right? And then, like, maybe do a part two one day. Well, I was going to just do a real brief stop in uh, junior welterweight and say that Costa Zhu would have Teofimo Lopez staring up the lights going, do I still got it? Oh, my God. Absolutely. Yeah, I didn't even <laughs> know that. So, he doesn't, Lopez... he, at this point, bro, Sandor Martin's giving them the business. I don't think he matches up really well with anybody at 140 right now. So, Devin Haney's at 140 now, even though he's the undisputed lightweight champion. Let's just place him there for a minute, right? Um, Devin Hayes at 140, Teofimo's at 140. You know, those are the young stars of boxing right now, I guess, whatever. I hated when they were trying to, like, delegate them as a new Four Kings because clearly, I don't know, it, it, none of that shit's really yeah, happening. Yeah, we had a lot closer to that at flyweight than those fucking bozos. Yeah, right? I mean, Haney is fighting uh, Ryan coming up, I guess, in April in Brooklyn or whatever, but whatever. Better than nothing, but come on, guys. Seriously. That being said, I can't at this moment safely say that these dudes would be like, you know, do anything with a guy like Aaron Pryor, Cervantes, or anything like that. You know what I mean? Fucking, I mean, even fucking Duilio Loy, dude. <laughs> Carlos Ortiz. Um, yeah, there's, I mean, it's a surprisingly deep division in, of, in and of itself, it bro. Junior welterweight Chavez would have, uh, you Nicolino know. Loche. You know, if you had a dude like Chavez fighting Teofimo, eh, nah, that's not gonna end well. Absolutely end not, well. dude. Absolutely like, not. Know. And we haven't, and we haven't seen it. I mean, dude, like I know Devin Haney is—he's very skilled, but like I don't think we've seen enough like high quality performances from him yet to be able to say he matches really up with. Okay, anybody. well, here's one actually for you, Devin. I think this would be a very, this would be a stylistically, this would have been a fight. Devin Haney, Frankie Randall. Okay, I was gonna say put him in with somebody who's who can do it, you know. Frankie Randall. Uh, Stephen Chavez, the business two times. Mm, I don't know, man. That would be a hell of a fight. Like, I mean, stylistically, they were kind of similar. You know what I mean? Like, both very competent boxers. Randall has more power than than absolutely than um, Devin Haney does. Haney is quicker than Randall was. You know, I think more uh, athletic. Who was uh, it that we saw? Gosh, my memory is so shocked because I smoked too much weed. But fucking, <laughs> who was it that we saw Devin Haney get hurt by? He had the deer in the headlights looking fucking. Fighting. Oh, um, Linares. Yeah, that's right, dude. And I mean, like, don't get me wrong, because Linares is a good fighter. He, well, he was a good fighter at one time. But I mean, you know, that does kind of give me pause a little bit. And I know Haney was really struggling to make lightweight. But that does kind of give me a little bit of pause, you know, against anybody who's got any sort of power. I'm kind of like, mm, what's going on there? Got to ask that question. I think it would be a really good high level uh, boxing match, like with a lot of skill involved that like people could appreciate and watch. And it wouldn't be boring. I mean, like, Haney would maybe try to make it boring because, you know, he knew the danger that Randall presented, but Randall would be crushing him. 
and would make it a good fight. And I think mm. I would favor Randall, I think. Well, like, he, he wouldn't just be lost in the like, oh, you're moving and jabbing. What do I do? You know, I mean, no, Randall was a long time amateur himself. I think he was on the verge of making a 1980 team along the scene like a bunch of other people back then. Like he was a bad motherfucker, you know, and a guy that was long neglected in terms of um, being avoided for a title shot for many years. And in fact, Lee Groves, our friend and historian that's been on the show before, um, I think he told me that he picked, he predicted that Randall was going to beat Chavez. You know, the first when the first when their first fight happened, clearly that happened. So I mean, you know, normally I would early. say whatever, but it's Lee, so I believe him. Totally believe him, and that's one of those things too. Is that like that would have been a high level chess match? That would have been a good boxing match to watch. Totally, I would have totally been into watching that. You know, like these guys do. You know, they match up well with not some of the all time greats. Like a guy like Pryor was just a rampaging maniac, and God knows what he would do to these kids today. But like. You know, there are, like, junior welterweights from the past, like Saul Mambe and others that, like, would be, like, really, really interesting fights in terms of, like, you know, matchups. And I think Haney and Team Fimo could beat some of them. You know, I don't think, he, you know, but like you said, even though the division hasn't been that long, there's been a lot of great fighters in there. Some of them all-time greats, a lot of Hall of Famers. And it's just one that's deep for that matter. Yeah, dude. It is. It, it's surprisingly deep because it doesn't, because it's one of the junior divisions where you're like, oh, you know, it hasn't been that around. It's actually been around a lot longer than you think. Yeah. But, there might have been a couple of gaps and stops in between. Okay. We really don't need this division. And then, you know, a few years later, someone's just kind of like, wait, no one's claimed this shit. It's just kind of simple. Well, I'm the champ. <laughs> yeah. Totally. <laughs> were, were you going to say lightweight before I said that? Yeah, but I mean, go. Junior Welterweight was a good stopping pit. I'm trying to think. Was there anyone else at Junior Welterweight right now? Uh, Subriel Matias. Who would he match up well with in history? I mean, like, he matches up well with anyone in terms of fun fights, not to say that he would win them. Him and Pryor. Oh, my God. That would have been a fun fire fight for yeah, a Yeah, like somebody who just doesn't stop coming forward. Yeah, Him and no Pryor. question. Him and Aaron Pryor. Yeah, he, well, I mean, Pryor ends up not stopping him absolutely, but like four or five rounds of that shit would have been awesome. <laughs> yeah, you know, just put him in against anybody who's coming forward, or for that matter, put him in against somebody who's not coming forward, like a Loche. I love those kind of style matchups where it's like a you know. Oh, massive... God, I don't know. Loche would have won. won I don't know how many fifteen rounds. Well, I mean, not expert, yeah. somebody like that. He would have won, but like those kinds of matchups where you put in like a puncher who's willing to like chase a guy down versus a guy who's trying to run away. I like that shit. I think it's funny. Oh, totally. Like, I mean, the, the one of the the one fight that I always wish I could watch that's not filmed is the second Pep Sadler fight. Just because of that, clearly. Like they say that's Pep's best performance, right? But they also said that Pet came out of that mask of blood. Yeah, just dude, you see shit. post-fight yeah. photos and he looks like shit. <laughs> but they said he put on the most brilliant performance of his career in that fight. And so well, I'm just we like, mentioned Sandy, Sad Sandy Sadler on a couple other shows. The yeah. dude was a monster, and he's even yeah, dirty. So it's like it makes me want to like you know see something like like you said. You know what I mean? Like the monster chasing down the other guy who's just pecking and boxing and boxing, but like you know the um the sand is slipping away in the glass at that point before yep. they finally drown. <laughs> Because there's only so much movie you can do before the fire guy finally corners you and starts, you know, like Antonio Margarito, how he would do a pet, you know, another yeah. guy, that more modern style, but totally. But I mean, Matias, I love Matias because he makes for fun fights against anybody. He really does. And he's just one of those like bruisers and brawlers. And like, if you want to do more modern, 
not a guy like Pryor, because Pryor, again, like I said, would have blasted him. Him and Costa Zoo would have been a fun fight. Like, Zoo, I think, you know, again, too technical would end up stopping him, but that would have been an absolute fucking firefight. Him and Zab Judah would have been a lot of fun. Yeah, dude, especially at 140 pounds. Like, Zab was oh, actually, yeah. I mean... The the zoo fight is obviously a bad representation, but when he was when he was actually good, you know, he was he looked good. Yeah, and zoo, you know, I gotta give uh, Zab credit too because like people say, oh, you know, if you like broke him down too much, he fall apart. Like to his credit, when um, uh, Matisse, Lucas Matisse was on the run and uh, was on the come up and stuff like that, he fought him, beat him, went to decision with him, was getting his ass kicked near the end of it, still survived, and you know what I mean, like. Zab was tough as nails. Vince Phillips would have been a good fight for Matias as well. But yeah, homeboy Carlos Baldemir beat him up for several rounds and he didn't quit. Like he didn't bow out. You know, he took yeah. his ass kicking. Exactly. So, you know. But yeah, I guess the last one, like lightweight, right? Yeah, so, which is at this point just Tank and Shakur Stevenson. And I don't even know if Tank's still planning on fighting there or what. I don't know. I mean, how does Tank measure up? Everyone, Tank, people love him. He's a polarizer figure, I guess, and all this stuff. I can't put him in. Same problems with the Canelo matchup. Hmm? Same problems with Canelo matchups. His output is low. He's he's a precision puncher, obviously. And if he catches just about anybody at lightweight, I think that there's a real good chance they're going to sleep. But Even Duran? um, What's that? Even Duran? If he catches them with his best shot? (laughs) Yeah, I'm not. I mean, dude. I mean, Duran get dropped. Did get dropped by De Jesus, and he's and, been knocked. I and can't, Tank's yeah. a massive puncher. Um, but Duran, but I don't think Duran is just. He's not going to sit there and fall into those traps. Is the problem? And Tank is really good at setting traps. Really good at walking you into his counters, and he's a massive counter puncher. Duran's not going to fall for that shit at lightweight. That's yeah. the big problem. And the, and the problem is that Tank doesn't have the output to you know to fix the other side of that so if a fighter's just overwhelming him what the fuck's he gonna do and we've already seen and uh, granted it was only for short periods of time but we've already seen other fighters manage to push him up against the ropes and work him over a little bit and win rounds that's you can't dude come on bro i like tank as much as anybody to be i do as a fighter emphasizing only as a fighter but i mean like Dude, you can't be that inactive from round to round. And then, no, dude. I thousand percent agree. Big power, good skill, not enough action. And he hasn't fought for almost a year, so we don't know what the fuck's happening with him. Yeah. Um, in terms of like uh dream fights, again, like Duran, that would just be bad. Duran would beat the daylights out of him and it's a deep division bro it really really is and it's funny too because that Whitaker article that I went through way way back we're talking it was like in world boxing or something back in like 95 they said that Whitaker would have beat Joe Gans he would have stopped Benny Leonard on cuts he would have beat Kanzanari he would have beat Ike Williams I think they said he would have lost to Duran (laughs) but like it was just funny. Like, they had him basically going through all, all of lightweight in history, you know? But maybe. I, I like, I'm not even going to go back to a person like Duran because, but like, if you want to go to like Whitaker, or instance, like lightweight Whitaker, it just would have been too much for him. And even with the boring style, Whitaker yeah. still outwork him. He would. 
Because Whitaker really wasn't that boring. Like, he just didn't punch. You know, like, he couldn't punch that. I mean, like, he was a sharp punch. Yeah, but he, he didn't have power. That's all. Yeah. And he just, you know, so a lot of his fights did went the distance. And as he got bigger, you know what I mean? Like, you know, oh, he's running. Blah, 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 blah. Like, no. Whitaker was a precise body puncher. His jab, everything. He just wouldn't negate a tank. You know? That's how it went down. Um, tank Camacho would have been interesting. Like, lightweight. I'm talking pre-Rosario Camacho. And again, I mean, though, that Camacho would have beat him because Camacho. I think so, dude. Not, before Camacho got caught by Rosario, it, yeah, again, he, he decided lost. right in that moment, yeah. not this kind of fighter anymore. But before then, I mean, Camacho was brilliant, absolutely brilliant, where he had some guys comparing him to Ray Robinson, Mike Katz, for instance, and a couple others. I, I mean, I'm rolling my eyes. Of course, he's a New York guy, so, you know. But I mean, like, that was the type of things that Camacho, I mean, like, when you watch Camacho back then, all right, like, he he did look look something special. I mean, like, Bazooka Lamon by 83, he was already passing with the Chacon fights and everything like that. He was probably already passing, but, like, Camacho ravaged him, absolutely ravaged him for his first world belt, you know, for his first world title. And then <clears throat> when he fought, um, uh, what was it, Jose, um, Jose Luis Ramirez, but the WBC strap and what was it, uh, 84 or something? Um, Ramirez is one of those dudes. Clearly, yeah, he was slower than Camacho and everything like that, but he gave everybody hell. The only dude at that point that really blew him out was a fucking Ruben Oliveras when he was like a novice pro fighter. And he even gave Alexis Arguello hell in a fight that like some people thought he beat him in. So it's like, you know, Ramirez was just fucking tough, 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 teak tough. Camacho routed him in that fight, dropped him, slapped him around, did what he wanted. Romero's going to lay a glove on him. At that point, I could see why people were thinking that Camacho could be an all-time great. Like, he was brilliant. And that Camacho runs over Tank, and he runs over fucking Shakur. Like, he was just a different beast, you know what I mean? But yeah, that's dude. a knock on them. That's just, it is what it is. I think one fight that would have been absolutely fascinating for that era, I mean, that could have been absolutely fascinating, is um, Tank against Rosario. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that could have been fun, dude, for sure. And fucking that guy, first of all, a fairly underrated puncher. I mean, probably, well, okay. He's Edwin on a couple Rosario? puncher lists. So what's that? Edwin Rosario? Yeah. I see. You think he's underrated? Well, just in the sense that he's a he was a pretty good puncher that doesn't really seem to get a whole lot of recognition. Yeah. But okay. he was tricky as fuck, pretty dirty, very skilled. I mean, he was a he was a tough night at his best for just about anybody. He would be, man. And, Tank, and Mike Tyson's best friend. Yes. <laughs> Came from the Caton uh, group. But, um, <laughs> you know, Rosario was one of those dudes that, like, even though he threw more than Tank, like, he had enough openings and, like, in his style and stuff like that that he could be caught. He could. He could be exposed. Like, Howard Davis was outboxing him for a number of rounds before his chin gave out on him in the last round. He lost that decision. And he could be hurt, too, for that matter. Even though, like, he was never really dropped, which was weird, he could get, like, knocked silly. And, like, he would stay on his feet, but he would, like, clearly be out of sorts while he would just kind of get knocked from one side of the ring to the other. Like, Ramirez did that to him um, when he lost his junior welterweight crown a few years later to, uh, what was that, Akinobu Kuranaka, I think. Mm. Um same thing. Haranaka just kind of bum rushed him in the first round, and before you knew it, 
you know, poor Rosario looked like a drunk stumbling from one side of the ring to the other. Like he had no clue what the fuck was going on. So that could potentially happen. Like he could get hit and you can get hurt and tank could, you know, explode on him and like really hurt him. So that would just be one of those like fascinating contrasts. Um, him and Roger Mayweather, for instance, could have been a very interesting fight. Yeah, dude, for sure. That was another instance of a guy who was a good puncher, but just not a super great chin, but, but also yeah. good skills, fast, good footwork. And I think Tank would stop Mayweather because, again, like Mayweather Probably. could punch and eventually he would go walk into some shit and he would get flattened. Um, Rocky like Lockridge. Fight, been, yeah. Yeah. Rocky Lockridge would have been really fascinating to watch, too. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking of like more modern guys from like the 80s. I'm not going to go all the way back to like Barney Ross or something right now, but like, um, because those, I'm sorry, man. Barney Ross would slap the shit out of Tank. Like, and I'm not even like, oh, it's old people. Just watch the footage and everything like that. Styles make fights and it's just. Yeah, dude. But, I think that's the issue with like even with Shakur Stevenson too. Even though he's less of an issue with his output, both Shakur Stevenson and Tank, I think their styles are vulnerable to somebody who's really strong, can take a punch, and has a good output. And unfortunately, that's a lot of lightweights from history, dude. Yeah, and not gonna be afraid of what's gonna be thrown back at them, even though it, they it, exactly. That's the fucking thing. Like, you know, they just know that, like, once they taste it a couple of times, I'm like, okay, fine. Like, I'm yeah, just going to. Some of these dudes are just getting, like, lulled into, like, oh, he's punching me. You know, like, and it's, like, there's so many. Like, Henry Armstrong, for instance, fights Tank. And, like, Tank lands one of those whipping uppercuts. And, yes, he might wobble Armstrong's legs a little bit. But you think that's going to deter him from coming in there and just grinding? In yeah, his is, is he? Is that going to make him go, oh, he hit me. I'm not going to do that again. He's going to go, no, I'm going to do it again, <laughs> but, like, harder. Word, I mean, like, you know, and that's that's the difference is that like some of these guys are being convinced to stay back when yeah. there are a lot of fighters from history who wouldn't have done that. All right, here's a good one: Arguello mm. versus Tank and Shakur. Arguello for both. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm biased. I like Arguello, so I mean, but but to be fair, they would have openings both of them because Arguello did have a probably a little bit more than a handful of performances that either weren't good or where he looked kind of flat. And don't get mad at me fans for saying this, but Shank, Shank, but Tank, not Tank, um, Shakur could have a chance about pointing him on an on a off night for Aguayo. Think about that. And the reason why I say that, Villamar Fernandez. He, that's what I'm saying is there were a couple of performances Fernandez where beat, he just kind of. Fernandez beat Arguello by decision. Arguello, look, I don't know if Shakur would be active enough to out hustle Arguello. So I, I maybe I'll go back on that. I don't know. But like he's skilled enough to make Arguello look bad. Absolutely. Make him look like make him definitely he look ch like Arguello chased the knockout sometimes. Sometimes he did that. And he yeah. was flat footed. He was another mm -hmm. guy that kind of shuffled. Like he had to be really set on his feet. He wasn't quick footed. Like he, you know, his fans weren't his fans, his hands weren't even that super fast either. Like he was precision, incredibly you know, incredible with his precision. Everything about him was textbook and one of the greatest fighters ever for all what he did. And if you got into him with combinations, you know, like you weren't going to beat him in terms of textbook shit. But like he could be out hustled if you just moved around him and try to like, you know, make him look yeah. bad. Like he could, you, you know. Yeah, you could figure his timing out. And I've, wa I've watched a lot of his, well, probably all of his fights that are available. But unfortunately, as much as I like him, he's one of those fighters where um, he does that thing where he steps back and then goes... 
Yeah, yeah. And, like, and I'm you, just like, dude, you know? that's such, I hate when fighters do that. It's such wasted movement and it's a real bad habit that they just cannot break from, I don't know if it's amateur or what, but he used to do that bouncing thing. Barrera used to do it constantly. Fucking, and that's the kind of thing where if you could figure out the timing on that, you're, you're cooked, bro. You can't fucking counter off that. So and that's why anyway. I used to think Floyd would, and that's why I would always say that Floyd would have beaten Arguello in a head to head. Like Styles make fights, and I think yeah. Floyd, you know, just went about hustled him and outboxed him. He could have. Yeah. Well, dude, I know that we missed, like, uh, especially probably the big one that we missed, if anybody, is Naoya Inoue. But let's just say he beats everybody from his. <laughs> let's just go ahead and I say mean, he like, beats I was, I know that was a lot. You know, all right, let's just do this one before we go. Because this is one I was thinking about, and I think I brought up on Twitter after he beat Fulton. And new way, Wilfredo Gomez. Wilfredo Gomez was obviously a great puncher, but not only a great puncher, he was skilled. He yeah. could get caught, but he was mean. He was mean. So nasty fighter, nasty. He was mean. Like he just he wanted to hurt his opponent. I mean, I'd probably go with a new way because I think he's sharper. But and I think that would probably be a problem for Gomez, who could be caught, who could be cut, who could be hurt. And he could also get sucked into a brawl, too. But that would that would probably be a pretty tough night for a new way, dude. And plus, on top of that, for now, that's the ceiling that we've seen weight wise for a new way. And against a really good puncher, that, that could be real dangerous. I would have to agree with you. I think I'm going to slightly favor a new way still. Like, yeah, but Gomez. not with a lot of confidence. Yeah, exactly. Gomez was brilliant. Gomez is one of the greatest boxer punchers I've ever watched. I mean, that dude was so fluid in the way he attacked and his defense was really good too. And all that. But like you said, Pat, he was arrogant and he was nasty about it. And he knew that he was a dominant dude. And he, like, he was like spiteful about the way he would beat the shit out of you. And just like happy, you know, Derek Holmes, beat him as an amateur in the world championships i think knocked oh, him out in the God. first round and when they finally had a when they finally had a, uh, had a rematch as pros when gomez was champion and holmes was the undefeated young contender that is the one of the most disgusting vicious beatdowns you will ever see in the modern well, is 1980 even still the modern era i, I guess mean, kind of yeah i mean yeah, it's like pushing the referee out of the way to whoop his ass more type of shit i mean but it was like it was you know gomez was almost on some harking back to some jack dempsey shit like just really beating him almost wanting to spit on him while he was down like how and, dare you for fucking beating me seven years ago or whatever yeah and as we found out holmes had his jaw broken like teeth split down like it was a nasty thing to it i don't even know how he was able to survive that as long as he did well, Gomez was just, every time he hit him, you know, nasty shit. But that being said, Inoue has shown that he could take a punch. I mean, it wasn't that 122 when he got crocked by Donaire, but Donaire has shown to be one of the hardest punching little guys in history. Yeah, he's already gone up to featherweight and shown he has power there. So, Like, Donaire has shown, especially in his left hand, he's one of the hardest punching little guys in boxing history. And not only did Inoue take that, he also had his, uh, you know, his eye socket broken. Like in that fight, didn't he? Yeah, that's where where he still has the it's his his eyelids still like that because he got his yeah. eye fucked up. And think about that. He survived that and won that fight and still ended up dropping Donaire late. Like, you know, his reflexes, his twitching, everything like that. He's my favorite active fighter, man. Like I consider I can see him being an all-time great. Like he's brilliant, just fucking brilliant. And 
him and Gomez head to head are just almost stacked up together. Like just boom, 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 boom. You can't really push them apart. The only thing I will say, and this is what makes me think there could be a difference here, is that, like you said, Gomez had a tendency to bust up easy. He really did. Yeah. Like he had the, the bone structure in the face that like um, he broke apart. You know what I mean? With Salvador it swelled Sanchez, up, yeah. Sanchez had his face looking like a gargoyle. Um, the Lupe Pintor fight, one of the greatest junior featherweight fights in history. Um, he, after that fight, boy, he looked like a raccoon. You know what I mean? Like his eyes were just completely black, swollen up right there, slits, everything. Like he was really damaged. And I think that in no way's precision punching would bust up Gomez enough to force a stoppage late. Yeah. In, in no way. Really. Oh, yeah. Just a little bit less wild. Like you said, precision. I think yeah. that's the name of the game here, dude. And obviously again, I bring up recency bias cause he's a fighter who's active now. So we've seen a lot of him. God damn, he's fucking good. He is. Absolutely. I love watching him fight, man. He's just, the way he just come pop, 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 like everything is just so good about him, man. He's just such a natural. Fuck, dude. We went on for a long time. It's going to be a long show. But, I mean, hopefully it, people stay with it. <laughs> I hope so. Cause I mean, it was fun, dude. You know, it's all about fun. I don't think any of us, either of us are saying that this is a definitive thing that neither, none of these fighters can beat anybody or anything like that, but it's, it's all shit. just for fun, you know? Yeah. Just for fun. But hey, dude, I appreciate you being here with me, man, doing this discussion. Everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. We appreciate you listening in. Go ahead and subscribe on the podcast apps. And also, if you watched on YouTube, thank you as well. And subscribe on YouTube. Leave us a comment and ratings and all those yummy, nice things. We'll maybe get back to you at some point. But uh, as far as social media goes, my boy Eris Pinas on Twitter slash X as Punch Zone Eris. I'm there boxing history, of course, and the Knuckles and Gloves podcast is both on Instagram and Facebook. If you're interested in heading there, go ahead there, say hello, and Eris, we'll talk soon, bro. Have a good one, yeah.